of it so that surfeiting the appetite may sicken and so die. Do not ask me, please, why that particular piece of Shakespeare has been embedded in my brain. Of all of the things I could choose, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? It's the music being the food of love and playing it on. I want all of it. That is an original from K.W. Glee called We Got This, one of several originals that that incredible choir has created for us over the years. And there is no this day in musical history significance to it other than we had the opportunity on Saturday night to take in one of the latest performances by K.W. Glee at Humanities Theatre at the University of Waterloo. And what a treat it is. What a joy it is to be in a theater watching a performance like that. And yes, there is a little bias because our daughter performs in the choir and has for many terms now. So there is that aspect of it. But truly, what they get out of these kids and the performances that they put on for us, absolutely incredible. Kudos to Steve Lehman and the entire group at KW Glee, Amanda Kind, and the rest. It's fantastic. We loved it. Another great show. And I thought, what better way to start this show for a Monday morning other than with an original from our own KW Glee choir? It is seven minutes after nine on this Monday, the 15th of January. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much for making the time to stop by. I hope you're ready for a conversation today. I know I am, and we're here for you at 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. You can also reach out electronically, as you know, mike at 570news.com, and via social media. Uh, Twitter is at farwell underscore wr, Instagram is the same, And hey, even follow along with our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Mike Farwell Show. Uh, You will also see there this morning on the Facebook page, and I'm warning you now, okay? Be warned, but I figured if I had to deal with this when a friend sent it to me over the holidays, you have to deal with it too. And it's a, a little meme that points out that 1980 and 2023 are as far apart as 1937 and 1980. Let that 
sink into your melon on a Monday morning. We could we could update it since we have now turned the calendar. 1980 and 2024 are as far apart as 1936 and 1980. That's the kind of stuff I get from friends. And now I'm sharing it with you. I figure misery loves company. How are you feeling after all of that heavy lifting over the re- weekend, right? We did all the heavy lifting, even if you had a snowblower. I'm not sure how much work that snowblower could have gotten through on its own without you doing a little bit. I lost count. I think the number was five, as in the times that I was outside shoveling the snow over the course of the weekend. However, I will say this, by late day, like late afternoon Saturday, when I went out for the second time on Saturday, it had gotten lighter and fluffier. And while I did not expect as much snow to fall while we were away at that KW Glee performance on Saturday night, as did fall, coming home and cleaning that up, not too big a deal. I didn't expect much by Sunday morning, but you know what? It was light, it was fluffy, and can I just say truly how much I enjoyed yesterday. Oh, it was cold. Make no mistake. I know it was cold. You know it was cold. Fortunately, I have all of the necessary gear to protect against the cold as best I can, including my thermal underwear, and I'm not shy about putting them on. When I was a kid and mom would say, it's cold, you put on your long underwear today. I'm like, come on, mom. Long underwear is for losers. Well, it's not no more. My mom, smart lady, probably the smartest lady alive. And so I got all bundled up and the sun was shining. How great was that yesterday? You could almost not get me back inside. I shoveled around the neighborhood. I walked over to work, you name it. I couldn't resist being outside. As cold as it was with that sun, it was just so energizing. Absolutely loved it. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering, could we make a deal? Do you think we could make a deal on this? So we've had we've had some decent snow now over the weekend, right? We definitely have a snow cover. It looks a little nicer because it's the white fluffy stuff, not the the dark gray, wet, chunky stuff, right? So things look pretty good. We have got temperatures that are cold enough for our friends at Chicopee and elsewhere if they have to make snow for the ski runs. So let them just continue making what they need to make. And we'll just call it winter. You can keep the cold for a while longer. I get it. But how about about no more snow? Could Could we make that deal? I will deal with and endure as best I can the cold as long as you keep that sun coming. And hey, let's just turn off the snow for a little while because, you know, it makes things tough. It makes it tough to get around. It cancels or postpones football games. It does all kinds of nasty things. So we'll keep the cold until the end of winter, but no more snow. I wonder I wonder if we could make that deal. Is Mother Nature listening <laughs> this morning? It is 9-12. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right, well, let's go for five ten, anyway. Nine, your Farwell Show, five things to keep in mind for today. It is cold. And by that, I mean really cold. And it's going to stay that way for most of the week. I do hope that you have shelter, stable shelter, a place to stay warm. It's going to be a really, 
really difficult week on the unsheltered in our community. Number two, today is often referred to as Blue Monday or the most depressing day of the year because the weather is generally rotten, the Christmas bills are starting to come in, and by now, yeah, we've likely broken our New Year's resolutions by this point. So they call it Blue Monday. But look, we had some sunshine yesterday. It's at least a little bit brighter out there today. I saw some peaks of sunshine this morning. And we are only 65 days away from spring. Count them down with me, baby. Count them down. 64 as of tomorrow. Number three on your Farwell Show 5 list of things to keep in mind for today. The Leafs lost both of their games this weekend. Oh, well, Kitchener Rangers won both of theirs. Number four, the YMCA and other large child care operators in Ontario are warning that some child care centers could close if the Ontario government doesn't update how it compensates them under the $10 per day program. And number five on your Farwell Show list of five things to keep in mind for today. Martin Short is among the Canadians who are vying tonight for an Emmy Award. Short is nominated for Best Lead Actor in a Comedy Series for his role in the Disney Plus series Only Murders in the Building. You notice... I mean, I think I'm showing my age when I say this, but the Disney Plus series, HBO with Succession winning all those Emmy Awards, all of these shows that are on all of these platforms that never used to exist. We used to have ABC, NBC, and CBS. (laughs) That's where the Emmy Awards came from. But here we are now with a bunch of different places to find our entertainment, and Canada's own Martin Short is up for one of the Emmy Awards tonight. It is 9.14. I want to take you back to Friday because we had a lot of fun. At least it was fun for me. I hope it was fun for you. It sounded like it was. Had a bit of an all-request day uh, on the show where your requests made up the music that we played uh, You know, after commercial breaks at the beginning of the show as our intro song, whatever the case may have been. We had an all-request Friday. Lots of fun with it. And we got this call late on Friday afternoon during our 12 o'clock, or late in the show anyway, during the 12 o'clock talkback hour. Not long before we went off the air for the day and the weekend on Friday afternoon at 1. Jim gave a call because there was a bit of a rush theme to the music. Turns out I'm not the only one who listens to this show and likes rush. This is why we get along. It's absolutely why we get along. Anyway, Jim called in with this little tidbit. You remember when they uh, got the Rock and Roll uh, Hall of Fame Award? Absolutely, I do. Okay. So what I want to ask, what you thought of Alex Lifeson's speech. I actually, after a few minutes, I actually thought I was getting it. I was almost feel like I was getting to understand it at one point, believe it or not. I'll tell you what we should do. We should go back and revisit it on the, the interwebs and see if we can figure it out. So Jim gave us that call on Friday afternoon. And if you were to revisit, I mean, Neil Peart gets up and does Neil Peart sorts of things. He's very eloquent. He wrote much of the lyrics for Rush's music. And then Getty Lee is there, and he is as magnanimous as always saying, you know, of course, we share this award, this Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction with the fans. And then... Alex Lifeson gets up and Jim says, I thought, you know, after I listened for long enough, I kind of started to figure out what he meant 
when he said this. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, see, you would think from the big cheer that it was the end. But no, Alex Lifeson goes on with the blah, 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 blah speech for about two full minutes. And that is the speech to which Jim referred on Friday. And he ultimately figures, he figured it out, which makes perfect sense because if Jim was listening to this show, it may sound an awful lot like that, right? Blah, blah, blah. Exactly. It is 918. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. So just to close the loop on Alex Lifeson's infamous Rock and Roll Hall of Fame acceptance speech, getting up on stage after his bandmates, Neil Peart and Getty Lee, gave their own heartfelt speeches, and Lifeson goes on with just a blah, 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 and literally that's all he said through the duration of his two-ish minute speech. He said that his bandmates had no idea and, quite frankly, initially wanted to strangle him because they thought, how can you go up there and make such a mockery of this after our heartfelt speeches at, of all places, our Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Award acceptance night. And Lifeson said he actually had confided in his wife the day before when he was trying to read his speech off the teleprompter. He really wanted to memorize it, and then thought, for somebody my age, that's not the easiest thing to do. Maybe I should just get up there and go blah, 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 which he did, and he only committed to doing it on his way up to the stage that night. Because you see him at one point pull paper out of his pocket as if he did have something ready and prepared. However, the day after the acceptance speech... Alex Lifeson says he got an email from Neil Peart saying, I owe you an apology the size of Texas. I'm so sorry that I got upset. I've been inundated with emails from everybody I know saying, wasn't Alex's speech great? So I was vindicated. And as I said to Jim on Friday when he called and asked about it, these guys have always marched to their own drum, haven't they? So it's almost just in keeping with the band that many of us know and love as much as we do. Uh, We are about six minutes away from your 9.30 update at the City News Centre. And as always, we make room for you on the show. Always have time to go to the phones. We'll do that right now. Say good morning to Lorraine. Hello, Lorraine. Hi there. 
Um, I just wanted to give a thumbs up today and all this week to the folks that are working outdoors, especially the garbage people. And I would suggest that if you can hold off putting out the you know, regular recycling, to do just do that. Um, maybe the garbage not so much unless you have a secure spot for it. Anyway, that's me. <laughs> all right, Lorraine. Thanks very much for the call. You know what? That is an excellent reminder. I mentioned at the beginning of the show when we were talking about how cold it is. I don't need to remind you of that. And honestly, as I came to work this morning, full-on toque, not just my usual what I call chapeau, that little newspaper boy's hat, they call them, uh, with nothing covering my ears. I went full-on wool toque to cover up with today. And I thought of the folks who were living at Weber in Victoria and at other encampments in the community. Holy Hannah, I could not possibly imagine if that is your only shelter. I don't care how many blankets you put on. I don't care how much cardboard you surround yourself with or whatever your hack is for keeping the elements out, but that cannot be comfortable at all. Lorraine raises another excellent point. The folks who work outdoors all day, every day, uh, deserve some recognition too because these are not easy conditions to work in. And Lorraine specifically thinks of those who are going around our neighborhoods collecting what we leave at the curb. And yes, if you're so inclined, you could leave that recycling for another two weeks. I don't know about you though. Like, I couldn't possibly. I need two more blue bins just to handle all the recycling these days. I've seen people with more than two blue bins. We've got the one for the uh, the, what is it, the containers, right? The plastic and uh, aluminum containers. And then we've got another one for the paper and the cardboard and the the plastic bags and such. Well, not really bags anymore, but the plastic wrapping and all these different things. Some things do still come in plastic bags. You just can't have one of your own. It's the way it works in Canada these days. Anyway, but by the by the end of the two weeks, or the end of the week, pardon me, we're, we're like chock full. Like it, those things are overflowing and ready to be out at the curb. If you did leave your garbage back for another two weeks, at least we're at the time of the year where it's not going to smell a whole heck of a lot. But nonetheless, great point by Lorraine. Think of those people who are working outdoors to uh, keep us and keep our communities running efficiently. On the program today, just a reminder for you, a couple hours from now, our good friend David Drew will join us for Drew's Views and we'll get David's unique perspective on things and he has said that today is the day he's going to stick around a little bit longer and join us for the beginning of the 12 o'clock talkback hour and you have the opportunity to ask him anything one of our listeners is very interested in the idea of david drew for prime minister so perhaps you could ask him how his campaign is going david drew will stick around with us uh, into the noon hour today on the program. Uh, At 11 o'clock, about 90 minutes from now, we're going to be joined by the head of the Greater KW Chamber of Commerce to talk about how important it is that our region be a player in the electric vehicle transition that's happening in Canada. Uh, One hour from now, there are plans afoot to create a national park on a really interesting site in the city of Guelph. And, And These plans are gaining some traction. We'll tell you about it at 10.30 this morning. And then in about 30 minutes' time, residents of North Dumfries are saying, hey, we need a second ice pad out here in the community of Air. I don't know which community 
of late hasn't asked for more ice. I find it interesting, too, that when we look for these recreational opportunities, it's almost always, we need more ice. We need more places for people to play hockey and other things on the ice. We'll talk about that just after 10. And following this update from the City News Centre, coming up in a couple minutes at 9.30, how bad are the conditions sometimes, even in our local hospitals, when it comes to your ability to get a loved one through the doors and into a bed? Well... We'll find out with a personal story coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. The Canadian Medical Association informed us late last week that emergency rooms across this country are overflowing and patients across Canada are waiting far too long to receive necessary care. Now, the CMA, Canadian Medical Association, also points out that this is nothing new, but unless we make major systemic changes, this is going to continue to repeat itself. We have heard stories, or the CMA reports stories, in some jurisdictions where patients were waiting as long as 20 hours to receive care. Not quite 20 hours, but still a really stressful situation right here in our own community. And Andrew Perrin, who was suffering that stress, is kind enough to make time on our show to share his experiences. Andrew, good morning. Good morning, sir. Could you please just take us through what happened when your father-in-law was admitted to hospital? Um, So um, my uh, um, father-in-law was dealing with a a second bout of cancer um, for the last 18 months. Uh, He actually passed away um, earlier this week. And uh, today is actually his funeral uh, and visitation. Uh, but uh, uh, he um, was staying um, and had moved in with my uh, sister-in-law um, so that uh, he could be with family because he, he did not want to be uh, away from family. And uh, he was um, incoherent and um, um, d- disoriented. And she called 911. Uh, paramedics came, picked him up. Um, took him to the Cambridge Memorial Hospital, and um, my uh, spouse and his sister um, went to meet, uh, or went to the hospital, and uh, uh, they waited over 11 hours for uh, their father uh, to be um, transferred from the paramedic um, transfer process to hospital doctor's care. Um, for me, I'm at home um, listening or getting feedback from my spouse on the situation. I know the situation because for my um, uh, for Brant, my husband, um, he had lost his mother um, in the first month of COVID um, in the hospital and his brother three years before that to cancer. So um, 
his dad, his sister, are his only two uh, family members left. And uh, the, there was actually the way the system works is that there's no contact um, with the patient while they're sitting there with the um, with the paramedics, and it's in limbo. Um, as I ask questions, because I'm a that type of person, um, I was told that, uh, oh, no, he's not just the only one waiting. There's 16 ambulances sitting here at Cambridge. Um, I'm a hyper-analytical person, and I was like, 16? It's like I Google it and found out that 48 ambulances, according to the website, are in the fleet. And so that was one-third of all ambulance services were sitting at one-third of the Kitchener, the Waterloo Regional Hospitals waiting for patient transfers. And I'm like going, I've heard, you know, comments about this, so I thought I needed to to speak up and say something. So I I sent uh, uh, an email out to as many as what I call the healthcare stewards, the politicians, the people at the uh, every single hospital, because this is not an individual um, uh, hospital issue. This is a system issue. And uh, I'm a person who's worked in the system, so I thought, yeah, so like, like I need to speak up, and I need to get other people to speak up. So, um, you know, and, and and when I reflect on this, this was basically, you know, a half day in the last five months of sorry, not five months, in the last five days of this man's health, where his kids were basically sitting, you know, in the emergency room while he was sitting down the hall on a stretcher. Yeah, and see, this is the thing, Andrew, and I'm so glad you raised the issue and are taking the time to speak out in the manner that you are because it's important for us to understand this when i you know read what the canadian medical association is saying and they talk about 20 hours or longer waiting of course we can you know hear that number and think oh my gosh in the case of your spouse's father it's 11 hours but it's not just the wait it's that this time during this time He's on a stretcher or gurney and still in the care of paramedics because they haven't been able to do that handoff to the hospital. 100%. 100%. And um, his, you know, in this particular case, um, you know, I, uh, CBC, not to, to tell somebody else, um, was, I was fortunate they, they picked this up a little bit and people made comments like, well, you know, what you should do is like, you know, lie and tell them you have like worse symptoms, like you have chest pains or you have this or that. It's like all that kind of stuff doesn't go to the root cause of, of, of addressing this. I mean, he was actually delusional um, when my spouse talked to him the following day. Um, uh, you know, he was sort of, he, he said incoherent things about his experience. So even if he um, was having serious health issues um uh he was he was he was delusional and and could not or probably would not be able to express his 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 health status at the time and being um under paramedic care um is not sufficient to be able to identify uh, what was all going on at the time so um you know i appreciate the paramedics the paramedics did what they could do you know um I'm annoyed because I had a number of politicians, including Karen Redmond, um, which is the worst response I got from anybody, um, who said, oh, well, let me explain to you how the system works, and let me explain to you the policies. And it's like, Karen, did you not, like, read my email? I didn't send this email. 
new region um, with regards to health care, which is many of them impossible because they don't want community engagement. They don't want direct feedback. They want to hide behind um, walls. Um, um, but, you know, it's like I, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, I'm pleading you, I'm challenging you to look at the way it's working and change it. Um, I understand everyone else's opinion around the funding and this and that, but it doesn't take extra money to say there's 16 ambulances at one hospital. Maybe a couple of people should be on the phone and saying, what do we do in a situation like this? And I'm very opinionated, (laughs) Um, but... um, I, I, I've worked for most of the most of the major insurance companies here in town, and if we had, and I worked in the systems, and if we had a situation where our client-facing systems or our business-facing systems were in limbo and couldn't be used for the purposes that they were intended for, and I'm just sort of extrapolating here, right? Um, you know, paramedic services, one-third of it can't be used for what it's being, the main purpose of it is. It's not to do patient transfers and sit there. There would be people on the phone. In fact, there would be people who would be waking out of bed. You know, directors and uh, assistant vice presidents would be, would, be, would be woken up out of bed at 3 o'clock in the morning and on the phone, you know, and, and I'm going to, you know, Say, you know, like one third of our resources are idle and not available for services. We need to put an effort towards doing something to deal with this and get us back to a situation. Um, I was watching the news and there was actually a story similar to the one that you were talking about. And then my spouse texted me and told me this, and I go, wow, like. Usually CKC, now again, at the, you know, uh, CKCO TV and other places or the region um, I've seen in the past where they talk about a, a code, I forget what the codes are, but some code level that says, you know, so many ambulances are um, um, uh, inpatient transfer. Right. That's when we achieve or we reach the status of code red. And there wouldn't yeah. be an ambulance and they have to rely on a neighboring jurisdiction to respond to an emergency in our community. Yeah, and, and again, I don't know what that the threshold is. Maybe I should have looked it up. Um, but I mean, like you know, as I said, if one third of if one third of the ambulances are at one third of the hospitals, how many are sitting at the other two? Um, and so, I mean, we've, we've got to be close to a code something. You know, even if it's not a code red, like you know, code orange, code yellow. I mean, we're it's it, it, it's pretty it's it's pretty it's pretty scary. And I don't know if it's you know, I, I, I've used a, a flippant um, statement that I don't think it's just m- money, right? It's it's also management. I mean, I, I I I've never worked in a job, never been in an organization that says, you know, we, we we have enough people, we have more people than we need. We're always short on resources. We're always short on this, right? It's the it's the um, the, the drive and the ingenuity and the intuitive. I mean, Kitchener-Waterloo region is, as we all, or most of us know, right? Kitchener-Waterloo region is one of the most uh, in, in, um, uh, entrepreneurial um, 
uh, uh, leading edge for everything, right? Our, our, our roots, our technology, our this and that. I mean, we've got smart, smart people here. And um, I don't know, I, I just look at it as being complacency. Do you? And, sorry, right? Andrew, I'm just, the, the email that you sent out, uh, to the stewards of our healthcare systems. Do you, do you like have any? <laughs> well, you used it first. I'm just stealing I know. yours. <laughs> I know. I know. Did, did you did you receive any feedback that you would uh, consider satisfactory? Well, surprisingly, um, I got not a single response from uh, City of Waterloo. Uh, City of Kitchener, politicians. I got a response from Karen Redman. I got a response from two ward councillors in Cambridge um, and the Cambridge um, CEO. The Cambridge CEO actually was the, and I'm going to say this, um, although this happened there, and it sounds like I'm bashing them, he was the only person that seemed to open his book and looked at how to respond to feedback 101 not as he was the only one that said thank you for your feedback um which is what disgusted me with karen redmond's response was there was you know she's been in i mean i I, i've been in kitchen since i was four months old and i'm 57 so that's a freaking long time (laughs) um and you know her name and other people's name have been, you know, in politics around me. She knew, you know, and, and guess, you know, and I'm not, I'm not running for politics here. and going to be, you know, challenging her. So that's not my point. But it's like the first thing you say to somebody when you give feedback or they give you feedback is thank you for your feedback. You know, I'm going to take it, you know, and um, look at it and, and see what we can do. But um, uh, the Cambridge um, counselors, said um, they echoed my thoughts. Um, they gave me some suggestions. The Cambridge CEO, um, and I should have his name in front of me, and I was going to do that so I could... The hospital CEO? Yes. Patrick Gaskin? Yes, Patrick, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yes, and I actually said in my email to him, Patrick, um, you need to tell your board that you're the only person um, that said thank you for my email. And... Um, um, you know, that, that says something about you as, as a leader and as a steward. Because, One, uh, sorry? Sorry, I, my apologies again. I'm, I'm curious, though, because we're talking about uh, Patrick Gaskin, the CEO of Cambridge Memorial Hospital, and I wonder, Andrew, once your spouse's father was admitted off that gurney, out of paramedics' hands, into hospital care, how do you feel about the care that he was able to receive? Well, he got really good care, yeah, and the support and follow up is really good. I mean, I, I, um, um, uh, my spouse and his and his sister got a lot of lot of support. Um, the sister's been been trying to get uh, um, uh, uh, personal a PSW at the home, trying to get a hospital bed, things like that. Um, the hospital was able to. Well, this is also an interesting thing about her healthcare system. So she's been trying to do that since November. Uh, the hospital was able to get that done within hours. So, um, again, uh, another sort of interesting observation around it is is that you're in a patient and they want to discharge you. You can't be discharged to a home that maybe is not a safe place for them. So all the, all the parts of the system come together and execute immediately and quickly. The following day, he had a hospital bed. 
um, at his home so he could he could go back to it. And they had PSW set up to support him through that. Um, but when he was at home, the sister um, who was trying to set this up was running around in circles trying to get it up. So the care was excellent. But again, even um, the excellent care highlighted to me another thing in the system is, you know, why why was it so difficult um, to get support services for the home um, until after he was admitted to the hospital? Many questions. For, yeah, it, it is indeed. And uh, it, it's a heart-wrenching story. Uh, Andrew, thank, thanks very much for making time for the show today. And speaking up the way that you have because it's the only way we're going to see change and action on this so thank you again and and uh i wish you and the family the very best on this difficult day thank you mike thank you andrew perrin joining the show whose father-in-law was admitted to hospital and spent 11 hours in the handoff phase from paramedics to hospital staff and as i said in the context of that conversation, we heard from the Canadian Medical Association last week about wait times of 20 hours or longer. And it's it's almost incomprehensible. And this just screams to me of a situation where you don't fully comprehend or appreciate it until you're in it. Imagine it's your loved one. Imagine it's you that needs the care of those experts in the hospital, but you can't get off the gurney into a hospital bed because there's no room at the inn, not to be too glib about it. But here's a first-hand experience from a family right here in our own community that ties in directly with what the Canadian Medical Association was saying late last week. What the CMA also believes, according to its news release is that it's well past time to transform and rebuild the healthcare system, including investing upstream in team-based primary care. How many people have family doctors? How many people do not have family doctors? I don't know what the answer is. I don't believe the answer is simply more money. However, I think we're all going to agree that a healthcare system that leaves you waiting for double-digit hours is no system that's functioning well at all. Your thoughts always welcome on the program. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Kitchener-Waterloo Region is one of the most entrepreneurial, leading-edge for everything, right? Our, our, our roots, our technology, our this and that. I mean, we've got smart, smart people here. And I don't know, I, I just look at it as being complacency. Andrew Perrin shares with us the story of his father-in-law's admittance to hospital in Cambridge and the 11 hours he had to spend in transition, on the handoff, so to speak, from paramedics into hospital care. 11 hours on a stretcher. And I I, I can't even, frankly, imagine. I would be, oh boy, somebody would be holding me back and I would be doing my best to keep my cool. And I'm not blaming the people who work in the hospitals who do such great work. But could you imagine if that is your father, your mother, your relative, 
the person that you care for, and they're stuck on a stretcher, I, I would have the most difficult time. Let's go to the phones. Ed, good morning. Oh, good morning, Mike. Glad to uh, talk to you. Yeah, wonderful show. I enjoy your shows and keep up good work. Thank you very much for um, that. I just want to make my comment, if I may, please. my experience with Cambridge Hospital. <clears throat> my wife, a year ago, was diagnosed with uh, bladder cancer, and she had dementia. First thing was first. When the doctor was diagnosed, they weren't going to operate. They weren't going to do anything. I had to fight tooth and nail just to get an operation. I told the hospital, the urologist, I said, listen, I know you're not God. I don't expect you to be. But I expect you, when you oath that you take, that you can do everything humanly possible to try and save my wife. That's all I asked. The parking. I had to pay parking. Now, she was put in public care, finally, right? So I had to pay cost me $40 a day for parking because I had a dog at home and I had to go home in between. So what worked up in the park when I was there, if you're there for uh, 20 minutes, or, or sorry, if you're there for uh, an hour or so, then it's okay. It doesn't reset back. But once you leave that hospital and you come back, it resets back to zero, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So that's another $20. So here I am paying $200, right, a week to see my wife, which I think is ridiculous. And there's no rooms up there for people that are put in public care. So what happened was at 8.30, guess what? I had to leave. Of course. Okay? And that's long. Here is my wife's dying, has maybe a month and a half, two months to live. Are you kidding me? There's nobody in this room. She's all by herself. I was in there for four and a half hours. I saw a nurse once. I get it. I understand. Nurses in hospitals are there to help people to get better. I I finally got my wife in the hospitals in Guelph, and I understand all that. But I don't understand why I had to leave under those circumstances. Uh, and also, the other thing, too, that really, really probably annoyed me more than anything was the fact that um, um, I don't think they really cared, quite frankly. It, it was, And she, like that last gentleman that called, before I could see my wife, whenever she went to the hospital by ambulance, it was always six to eight hours before I saw her. I asked him if I'd go in the ambulance. No, nope, no one's allowed in the ambulance. Against policy, against this, against that. But, you know, like, my wife's dying. You know, I was married for 50 years. It's not, you know, it's not like two days, right? Exactly. And I got to run to get to news. I'm so sorry, but thank oh, you. That's fine. All right. Have a great day. And thanks so much for calling. I, I, I'm late for news. But, you know, Ed, honestly, he just brought a tear to my eye when he talked about having to leave at 830. His wife was dying. My, my baby sister was dying in hospital. And I was saying at the beginning of this, what if it's your loved one? I refused. I did not. I would. I refused to leave Grand River Hospital, and and to the staff's credit, they found me a chair that they let me sleep in. But I was not, I was not leaving that place. And Ed just reminded me of that. That's the kind of uh, that's the kind of patient relative I would be. Holy Hannah, we got some work to do. We definitely have some work to do in that regard. And and there you go, Grant, who was upset with us last week that we don't talk about healthcare enough. No, it was Bob. Sorry. There's your healthcare story. I promised you. It ain't pretty. Uh, we got to get to news uh, from the news center. And then a conversation about ice. Does North Dumfries need a second ice pad? We'll talk about it coming up. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. If you have known me for more than a minute, you know that I love me some NDCC. The North Dumfries 
community complex, which I think is an absolute gem in the township. It's the home of the Air Centennials. I've been there for many a hockey game, and I think it serves the community incredibly well. What I didn't know until recently is that there was a plan to add a second ice pad to the area where the NDCC currently is. And as things stand in the moment, those plans may be on hold, at least temporarily. Mike Play makes time for the program this morning. Mike is a founding board member of the Centre for the Community Group of North Dumfries. Mike, good morning. Morning, Mike. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you very much for making the time and for the advocacy you do for these recreational opportunities in the township, because I'm a big fan and a big believer in their importance. What I didn't know, as I mentioned, was that there was always a plan, I guess, for a second ice pad as part of the North Dumfries Community Complex. Is that correct? Yeah, but there was a a need study that was done about two decades ago, and then the original concept and their architectural drawings were were drawn up for the NDCC. And that actually includes the provision for a second ice pad. And, and the main reason was that the, the uh, you know, definitely there was a defined need for two ice pads for, the, for all the ice users. Um, but the old ACC, uh, the Air Community Centre and the old arenas, you know, was approaching at that time probably 40 years old, about close to, yeah, over 40 years old. And um, it, you know, there was a recognition that that was going to have to be replaced. Um, it was an inadequate ice surface. It's a small ice surface. It's a dingy old facility. Um, needs uh, uh, it. It can't be revamped to uh, uh, to to be a regulation size ice pad. It has limited parking, all the rest. And the NDCC, as you said, is an absolutely gorgeous facility. And uh, the the plan was always to add a second pad to that. And so at this point, though, it sounds like Council in North Dumfries prefers the option of refurbishing the existing pad instead of adding this second one. Yeah, the, the council was presented in, in August um, with an increased cost for the, the second pad uh, than what they had originally anticipated. Um, so that was that was one issue. And the second is, is that they've got a time constraint, uh, or they believe they had a time constraint. Um, the, the old ACC arena, they, uh, it was clear that they would not have the chiller part of the refrigeration plant recertified past the summer of 2025. Uh, so they were you know, being pushed to make a decision on how to proceed. Um, and there's a real broad consensus that we need two ice surfaces in the community. And they opted, and I think it was a premature uh, decision to make, to, to say that they were going to focus on the um, ACC and rebuilding that uh, in the hope that that would be the second ice surface. Um, Unfortunately, that doesn't make a lot of sense because, it, like I said, it's a substandard ice uh, size. It's uh, it's not it's not really adequate. And if you if you you know think about the operating cost savings of running two ice pads in one location versus running two ice pads in two different locations, and um, particularly one that's energy inefficient and, and old like the ACC. Um, you, you, you know, you realize that it really should be focused on the NDCC as the, pro, the way forward. Would you recommend that the Air Community Centre be decommissioned from ICE, or that would just be a, a third pad should you get the second one at the NDCC? Well, the longer-term plan was always to 
take the ACC, or the, the thought was the ACC, and turn it into a warm recreation site, they call it. Uh, so, so essentially, you know, indoor soccer, uh, gymnasium, that type of thing. Um, much like they did with the old Silaps Arena in Paris. Um, when they built the, the twin pad at, uh, you know, the double pad at the Brandt uh, Center, um, they, uh, they, you know, uh, turned the Sill uh, Apps Arena into an indoor facility, which is utilized to provide other recreational needs for the community uh, year-round. What sorts of dollar figures are we talking about here, Mike, to, to refurbish the ACC and to get that or, I guess it should be, to get that second pad at the NDCC? Um, I'm not, uh, I don't really have the numbers for what it would take to um, refurbish the ACC into, uh, you know, a warm recreation site. Um, the, the numbers that have been thrown around were, were budgetary in the discussions that were, were held in August. Um, the, our belief is, is that the cost... That was thrown on the table to build the twin pad, which was, uh, um, I think, over $16 million, uh, was a bit excessive. It was budgetary. It was based on early uh, versions of the drawings. Now they've got more updated drawings, and we think that uh, that you can get a much more refined budget uh, to, for it, and we think it'll be considerably less. There were several elements that we thought were excessive. So um, that that's how much it would cost to to finish the twin pad. Uh, For the ACC, uh, there's been estimates thrown around to rebuild that into a to a, a second, you know, the, the ice pad uh, of well over uh, $6 million, which I think is probably underestimated just given the, the constraints of the uh, facility and the amount of work that has to go into to upgrading it. I know that your group, Mike, the Center for the Community Group of North Dumfries, has been instrumental in fundraising, not only for the original NDCC, but also with plans to help support through fundraising this twinning of the ice pad. Do you anticipate doing more fundraising to help make this second ice pad a reality? Well, the great news is is that when we did the original campaign, we contributed, uh, we donated uh, $1.5 million. This was through a community fundraising uh, effort. Uh, $1.5 million to the original NDCC. Um, We have still in the bank about $700,000. Uh, it's actually in trust with the Bonneville Region Community Foundation. Um, and we've been using the investment income to make upgrades and enhancements to the NDCC and the ACC. So uh, we still have that money, the principle of that money, sitting in the uh, ready to go. And we want to apply that towards the twin pad. So they definitely we, we would... Um, uh, you know, put that money towards a twin pad. Uh, so that would be the first step. The second step is that much like we did the first campaign, we just didn't walk into a campaign and, and you know, sort of go to the community and say, please donate money. We actually pr- approached a, uh, uh, you know, professional fundraising group called the Campaign Coaches that helped us to assess what the likelihood is of, of you know, achieving our, our financial goals was, and then helped us to define a program that would actually do some fundraising. We think it's really important for the township to do the same thing again, uh, to see that, uh, that, that, you know, that the proper fundraising campaign is, is uh, set up. CG, CCG would definitely support that. Um, and, uh, um, you know, again, I think with the 
increased size of this community and the growth in the community, we see a lot more people uh, willing to help support and uh, take part in a fundraising campaign. I suspect the growth in the community is part of the business case for the second ice pad. But why is it that you believe this twinning needs to happen? Uh, Well, it's really now there's been two different need studies done of recreational needs for the North Dumfries uh, Township. And both have confirmed that we need two ice pads. Uh, That's one. Two, uh, you can actually see both ice pads uh, that we have, you know, at the uh, NDCC and ACC are heavily utilized at this point. Um, and, and actually in some cases, some, some are, you know, we have to look outside to, to get ice surfaces to, to, uh, support, uh, the, the ice users. We have a very active air minor hockey association, a very active girls hockey or the air rockets program, uh, as well as, you know, the centennials and, you know, a whole bunch of other different ice users out there. And, uh, it, it's pretty clear. I, my grandkids are now, um, out on the ice. Um, at uh, five and three and a half. And uh, just the sheer numbers I see in the, the initiation program, they call it the IP program, uh, just makes me believe that there's definitely a strong need for, for two ice pads. I'm sure you can appreciate, Mike, the economic times in which we are currently living. And I, I wonder if that uh, gives council any grace if they say, you know what, this is just not the right time to make uh, an expenditure of more than $10 million, for example. Yeah, and that, you know, it's a highly emotive issue. But I, I think there's, a, um, you know, there's a, the, one of the things we have to look at is that this is a significantly growing community. It has grown a lot. The south end of air has had a huge amount of development, and there is planned development that is expected to come in the, the next uh, five to ten years. And that really has been factored into the, the, uh, the equation, as far as we can tell, in terms of what it would take then to service the debt and, and whether the property tax base could, could support that. So we think that that has to be done uh, so that we can understand then what it is. The second is, as I said, I think it's considerably less expensive than what had been, you know, some numbers have been thrown out as high as $18 million to do the pad. I, um, I, I don't think it's anywhere near that. And, and so it is much more affordable. Um, the, you know, lastly, um, there was always the assumption that we would approach the, uh, um, you know, senior levels of government, the provincial and federal government, to to support uh, um, you know the, the construction of the twin pad, uh, much like they supported the construction of the original NDCC. Um, the uh, the the problem has been is you have to be kind of shovel ready, and then you have to walk in there with an ask. To, to both the provincial and federal governments, and we haven't been at that point yet. The drawings are now, I think, in a state that they are done. The estimates will be much more accurate, and we'll be able to walk in and ask the provincial and federal governments for some level of support. Mike, I really appreciate you making time for the show this morning. Thanks very much for being here. Okay, thanks, Mike, and I, I appreciate you uh, giving us the opportunity to, to have this chat. Uh, happy to do so. These are important conversations, and I'm glad you and the Centre for the Community uh, group is, is invested in this. Thanks again. Okay, thank you, Mike. Bye-bye. Mike, Bye-bye. Mike Play is a founding board member for the, or of the pardon me, Centre for the Community group in North Dumfries. And as you hear Mike uh, spell out very eloquently in that conversation... A couple of different needs studies point to 
that very thing, the need for the twinning of the ice pad at the North Dumfries Community Complex. There is a tremendous appetite. I've, I've often joked that per capita, North Dumfries Township, or just the village of Air itself, may have the greatest participation in hockey anywhere in our region. We know that, and, and this runs counter to a story we covered not long before Christmas, which is declining enrollment in hockey across this country, which I think we all understand and we are seeing and understanding because the cost of it is just so significant. I think it's turning a lot of families away from this game that we hold so near and dear to our hearts. But Air and and North Dumfries more broadly may be bucking that trend. Hockey is very much a going concern. The North Dumfries Community Complex is very well used. And while council voted last year to refurbish the existing ice pad at the Air Community Center for roughly $6 million, the the Center for Community in North Dumfries group says, you know what, it's not the right way to go about this because that's not going to be part of the long-term solution when it comes to ice and ice availability in North Dumfries. Instead, what should continue is the plan to build that second ice pad, which gets up to as much as $18 million. Now, our guest believes it could be achieved for less, but the bottom line is you spend $6 million to refurbish the existing ice pad at the Air Community Center, or you go two to three times that amount, but on a regulation-sized ice surface at the North Dumfries Community Center, which was always part of the plan. One of the things that strikes me in this, and, and you know, I'm a hockey guy, I'm a puckhead, absolutely I am, but isn't it always, like, aren't these always the conversations, right? It wasn't long ago that Wilmot was talking about the need for its third ice pad. I can tell you in Kitchener, speaking with minor hockey organizations, that there never seems to be enough ice time. The, the facilities that we have are constantly in use. Cambridge, as they continue to wait, you remember the conversations around the multiplex and how important those new ice surfaces were going to be to minor hockey in Cambridge, and it just goes on from there. It just never seems to be enough ice, and we always need another ice pad and maybe even another one after that. Meantime, pickleball is one of the fastest-growing sports in North America right now. I don't know, but it always comes down to more ice. And like I said, as a hockey guy, I'm not going to be one to turn my back on it. Are they ready? For another ice pad at the North Dumfries Community Complex, I know a bunch of you from Air are in love with the game of hockey, and the support is absolutely incredible. You tell me what conditions are like out there and how how badly needed this second ice surface is. Happy to hear from you on the show. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. It's pretty clear uh, my grandkids are now out on the ice at uh, five and three and a half. And uh, just the sheer numbers I see in the initiation program, they call it the P program, just makes me believe that there's definitely a strong need for two ice pads. Mike Play is a founding board member of the Center for the Community Group of North Dumfries. And they are advocating that Township Council in North Dumfries 
continue along with the original plan to start construction of a second ice pad at the North Dumfries Community Complex. What Council in North Dumfries did last year instead was vote to move forward with a less expensive refurbishment of the ice pad at the Air Community Centre. But that's a different size, it's not regulation, and the group, this grassroots community group, continues to advocate for what was the plan since the North Dumfries Community Centre was built, and that was to get a second ice pad, uh, ice pad there. A couple of different needs studies have demonstrated that there is indeed enough demand for the facilities in the Village of Air to warrant a second ice pad. Phil sends an email to Mike at 570news.com and says, what a great, enthusiastic, volunteer-driven community. They could have four ice rinks and keep them busy in air. If they put a snowmobile museum in the front lobby, I'd move there. <laughs> hey, listen, with Vincent Motorsports out there in air, don't put it past the community to add a snowmobile lobby to their next community center or to the twinned ice pad there in the village. It certainly seems from the outside looking in, every time I go to any hockey-related event in air, it is a big deal. And the Centennials are absolutely the toast of the town. There is no doubt of that. All right, we're fast approaching 10.30, just a few minutes away. And at that time, we'll get you an update from the City News Centre. Then let's turn our attention to the City of Guelph and, and ask the question, is there room for like a national park site in the City of Guelph? There just might be. And, and the room for it might be in an area that you wouldn't otherwise expect. We'll, we'll tell you the site where it could f- possibly happen and the work that's being done to get this designated as a national urban park in Canada. That conversation is coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. I think you probably know that I like to get out and about as much as I can in the community. The Huron Natural Area, one of my all-time favorites. We had a great time over the summer in the warmer weather months at the refurbished, upgraded uh, Silver Lake area of Waterloo Park. I can't wait until we're allowed to have an adult beverage in Kitchener's Victoria Park, the Jewel, of course, in Kitchener. Riverside Park in Cambridge is absolutely gorgeous. I could go I could go on and on, but for now, we're going to move over to the city of Guelph because there is an opportunity there to establish a national urban park, and it's a local non-profit group in Guelph that's uh, got this work underway, and it's really making some progress with it. Brian Skerritt is with Urban Park Guelph and joins us for a conversation. Brian, thanks very much for making the time. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Mike. Good morning. So you're aiming to establish a national urban park where in Guelph? So this is at the site of the former Ontario Reformatory, what became the Guelph Correctional Center. Uh, it's about 110 hectares in size, and it runs from York Road in Guelph along the Aramossa River, uh, past the old reformatory quarries, and it terminates pretty much at Stone Road where there's a, a, a heritage 
um, turn of the century, turn of the previous century bridge. And and what was it that drew your attention to this and, and began the drive to establish a national urban park here? It was a it was a a number of things that came together. There have been a number of groups in Guelph, particularly uh, Yorkland's Green Hub, who have identified part of this land as something that they thought was you know they wanted to preserve and put a ecological education center there. The Guelph Hiking Trail Club has been using this land for decades, uh, as has the outdoor school and the university. So the land has been used to those ends. Two years ago the federal government announced the, the plans to open 15 national urban parks in Canada. And it's a new model. It's a new governance model. It's a new funding model. It's a, it's a cooperative venture. It's not necessarily top-down and owned by the federal government. Um, and we saw the opportunity to take all those other groups and, and coalesce around this idea of here's, here's the site. Here's the site. It's surplus land identified by the province. It hasn't been put to good use for over 20 years since the facility closed. And and this is the, the best opportunity we've seen to preserve public access to this space. I, I absolutely love it. I, I know the site rather well from a time long ago when I was a student working in landscaping and I was not far from the former Guelph Correctional Center. So it's it's really interesting to me that it's been considered in this way. And and does it seem, Brian, to check those boxes under the, the guidelines that the federal government put out a couple of years ago? Well, that's been the really interesting part for us, that there were, there were three check boxes to start with. And the three were that we had to uh, connect people to nature. And, and that's been done by these various community groups for, for a long time. We had to conserve nature. Uh, and we're extending that to conserve and restore. And and that's a pretty easy one to, to check as well. We've, we've got uh, bio blitzes. We've, we've done species counts. You know, there's natural heritage areas along the Aramasa River. One of the trickier components at first blush was the concept of advancing uh, reconciliation with Indigenous peoples. And that's the, the third requirement of any national park. The other parks that have been, you know, are underway so far are all incorporating Indigenous land with Indigenous governments cooperating. Um, we didn't have that on this site. What we had was a former jail, a place of, of pain, a place of suffering. And what we, and, and I must say, a, a place of disproportionate Indigenous incarceration. And, and at first, that seemed like a, a negative. And what we decided to do was take that negative and turn it into a positive, as far as the site goes, and take those elements and say, hey, this is a place that we can have conversations about um, injustice to Indigenous peoples. Um, you know, we can talk about residential schools and the 60s scoop and intergenerational trauma and how what happened there 50 years ago impacts and informs what we're doing today. And, and being able to leverage that actually earned us a, the support of the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation, who have become the first government to actually recognize the value of our proposal. So we're really excited about that. As I think you should be. And this has got to be a, a pretty large step, Brian, forward in the ultimate designation of this area as a national urban park. It really is. I mean, I think that there are going to be uh, competing uh, bids from other communities and other areas. But but knowing we have that support, you know, it's not only a, a shot in the arm for us locally, but it, it 
it makes everybody sit up and say, hey, there, there must be something here after all. What what else is left between where you're at today and ultimately perhaps this designation? I think there's probably a lot. I mean, there, there's there's the, the first goal for us is to get on the radar with the federal government and Parks Canada and, and have them initiate uh, what they call the feasibility study or even the pre-feasibility study. And, and that's where they start bringing stakeholders and governments together to, to look at the land, uh, look at the potential mandate of the park, look at the potential ownership, the governance. People talk about governance and, you know, tend to glaze over, but this is actually a pretty cool model. The, the federal government has set out from the very beginning, they will not expropriate any land for this project. They will not bring on anybody who's not interested in being a partner in the project. So, we could wind up in a scenario where we have a multi, a, a national park that's actually owned by four or five different bodies, which is kind of you know, unusual, it, it, and it's cooperatively governed, and it would have an indigenous government at the governance table of the park. What ultimately does this designation mean? Because I'm reflecting on what you said about the hiking club, for example, having made use of this space for decades and so many others. So, you know, if it's formally designated, for lack of a better term, what does that really mean? It's formally designated. Well, to some extent, it depends on what the the governance board of the park decides it means. And that's one of the neat things that, you know, no two national urban parks will be the same. Um, one thing I can say it means, because again, it, it comes out of the discussion papers from Parks Canada, is that if it were if it earned that designation, it would preserve free public access. Now, I, I've had a little bit of uh, blowback from people who have said, "Oh, you're going to turn this into a park and start charging for it," and you know, we've had free free access to this for the last 20 years. And the reality is, it's quite the opposite. What we want to do is preserve free access. Um, what one of the other it also has to be accessible by active transportation. That's a mandate from Parks Canada. So there are a lot of things that, that are built into the, the non-sexy governance components, uh, but that are actually really attractive and, and make it uh, a project that, you know, from what we can see, does not have a downside. Do you have the support of municipal and provincial partners at this point as well? Not yet. We've we've been in contact. We have kept uh, our municipal governments and provincial and federal governments um, in the loop, as they say. Um, and we're, we're we've got some meeting requests that that are outstanding now. Um, you know, municipally, we just had uh, Pierre Trudeau in Guelph last week, so I think our our uh, local folks were were a bit tied up with that. And I, I can't blame <laughs> them. Um, but uh, we've had good communications with the with both the city and with individual councillors and uh, with the mayor of Guelph. So I think when we, now that we've got things, you know, coming together and coalescing around a few different points, things are still going to start moving faster. Uh, I know, Brian, that there is a petition before Parliament to support this designation of an urban park in Guelph and, and uh, the opportunity to sign closes in a few days. How can we support you? Well, there's a link to the petition on our website, which is www.urbanparkguelph.com. Um, the, we, we just actually increased the font size on the petition link to make it big and bold. 
if you sign the petition, that goes straight to Parliament. The information is kept private. We don't see who signed it. Nobody but the federal government can see that. Um, but the more people that sign it, the more uh, influence we have. You know, and and when we when we tell Ottawa, hey, this is this is a site that's special, and it not only ticks the boxes because they are boxes to be ticked, it actually has the potential to achieve something very meaningful. And uh, and that's the feedback we've been getting on our social media as well, that, that people are really excited by this. What makes you passionate about it? Oh, that's a long story. <laughs> but, you know, try me, involved, Brian, try me. <laughs> well, you know, when I, was, when I was a kid, I used to drive past that site and, and see prisoners, my, my father would say, oh, look, there are the prisoners working on the walls. And I would look and I wouldn't see the prisoners. I could see, you know, some hippies <laughs> in jeans. <laughs> and I never understood, you know, well, prisoners have striped uniforms. Um, there, there's a deep history to just to the reformatory property um, that I've researched and, and dug into. That, and it went from a, a very progressive place to becoming one of Canada's most notorious prisons becoming you know a, a progressive place again before it was shut down to make way for super jails then on the other end of the equation i grew up in guelph but i only discovered the quarry sites five years ago and they're beautiful there are magnificent cliff faces and tablelands and uh, species at risk um, that i didn't even know existed there it's like walking through a laura um, so there, there's just literally so much there. And then, you know, the final component is in a year, um, as I've explored the Indigenous component, uh, the, there was a self-help group in the reformatory, in the Guelph Correctional Center, rather, called the Native Sons. And learning about the Native Sons and how they self-organized to teach themselves uh, about their heritage and their spirituality has been an eye opener, and I, I, am, I could I could talk for three hours just on on the Native Sons, um, and, and I've had the the good fortune to meet a few of the original members, and uh, and they have remarkable stories, and they've been incredibly generous with us. You uh, really piqued my curiosity with the quarry sites in Guelph. I was also unaware. Are they on these same? lands of the former reformatory or elsewhere yes in fact they were they were quarried by the prisoners no kidding the, the old saw about prisoners breaking stones <laughs> with a pick is not too far off and the, the the interesting thing is that when when i say quarry site people think of a typical quarry with ponds that are filled up with water but that's not the case here what this is is a flat table two or three flat tables of limestone that then, you know, erupt into a sheer cliff face with, with no slope in between. Um, it's almost like a natural amphitheater. It's going to be, at some point, a, a marvelous place for, for concerts and gatherings. It is uh, absolutely incredible. I, I hope that the work continues apace and you are successful ultimately in this designation. I think it would be fantastic. Really appreciate you, Brian, making time for the show today. Thanks for being here. Thanks very much, Mike. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Brian Scarrett is with the group Urban Park Guelph. They're a nonprofit and came up with this idea when two years ago the federal government opened up the possibility that, hey, 
this former Guelph Correctional Center, which as I alluded to at the beginning of that conversation with Brian, I too know rather intimately from my time many decades ago uh, taking care of grounds on places just like I wasn't actually at the correctional center, but not too far away as I worked to pay my way through university. But, oh, my goodness, I, I just I can I can picture the site. And unlike Brian, who who talked about his perspective of it when he would drive by with his father and his father would talk about the prisoners working on the wall. I just I just remember the building. Right. And I don't know, it kind of had that. Well, it was certainly striking and almost like that intimidating look against the uh, the landscape or the sky, but maybe it was intimidating because I knew what the building was all about. Nonetheless, they just received Urban Park Guelph, this nonprofit organization, a couple of key endorsements, one from the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation and the Mississaugas of the Credit uh, and, and the chief there. So... This is a positive aspect of the work being done. There's still quite a bit to do, and obviously there will be competition for these sites, these 15 sites that are being opened, but wouldn't it be neat? We've got the National Historic Site of Woodside Park in Kitchener. Why not a national urban park in the city of Guelph, no less where the Guelph Correctional Center or Reformatory has long stood? Pretty interesting to think about how these lands evolve over time. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. And just before we take a quick break, I, I, sh- I want to let you know, just because this popped into my head uh, as, as we're talking about these other areas, what a story it was. <laughs> what a story it was about how the Owen Sound attack made it to their game yesterday in London to play the Knights, if not for a farmer and his backhoe, the attack may never have made it to London for that game. Now, they ended up getting beat pretty bad. Maybe they wish they hadn't arrived. But my mission is to find the farmer who bailed out the Owen Sound attack yesterday. We'll tell you the story coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. City News 570 and Rogers TV. It is 10.53, seven minutes away from your 11 a.m. update at the City News Center. I wanted to share a story with you. And I wonder if you've got a similar story about a drive this weekend that was perhaps more challenging than you anticipated or maybe one you wished you hadn't taken. I was speaking with a co-worker this morning, Christine Clark, whose child plays hockey and... She was telling me the story of speaking with another mother who was a little bit concerned about getting their child to their hockey game. Remember, this isn't the Stanley Cup Finals. This is minor hockey for like four, five, six, and seven-year-olds, etc. And yet, the games went on, and these mothers were saying, no matter what, the games will never get canceled. Just get used to it. I had another buddy who told me, that he drove probably a a total of 800 kilometers through this weekend. Yes, Friday night, Saturday 
etc. Things really only started to improve somewhat on Sunday to get his child to three different, I believe it was, sites that they had to be at for a game this weekend or several games. And I ran into a buddy at the rink yesterday before the Rangers game that said the same thing. He coaches a team and had to get them from Waterloo to Stratford on Saturday night when they were driving through the most wicked conditions. I even I got chastised by my beloved on Friday night, and rightly so, because I was talking during the day on Friday about, you know, toughing it out, getting out there, not letting the weather slow you down, and holy Hannah, did we get some weather on Friday night and through the weekend as well. So if you've got a story that you just are bursting at the seams to share, hey, we're here for it. 519-570-2545, star 570, 1-800-570-5715. If you're sharing the story today, the good news is you made it. Your knuckles may still be white from gripping that steering wheel, but you're here. What I heard yesterday and the story I wanted to share, and ding dang it, I'm going to make it my mission to find this farmer. And maybe, maybe just maybe, you could help me out in this regard because you're really good at this sort of thing. So if we play the telephone game, maybe you know somebody who might know somebody who might know somebody in the Listowel area. So I'm shouting out all my friends in Listy, come on, North Perth, you can do this for me. On the way to their game versus the London Knights yesterday, the Owen Sound attack bus had a wee bit of trouble. As I understand the story, there was a wrong turn made on one of the rural roads between Owen Sound and London. The conditions were pretty awful, so you can probably understand with all the snow blowing how you might have taken a wrong turn. And then the attempt to turn around in the laneway of a rural property. And what happened? The bus got stuck. So imagine, you're an Ontario Hockey League team, you're on your way to a game in London, and you get stuck in the snow. As it turns out, the game had to be delayed by an hour, which means the Owen Sound attack did ultimately make it. But the only way they got unstuck is because the farmer at that property, came out to pull the bus out of trouble. First, he tried with his tractor, and the tractor couldn't do the job. So then he had to resort to the backhoe, and the backhoe was able to do the job. So I am told this was in the, quote, listowel area. So if you know the property, if you saw the bus get stuck, if you know the farmer who played hero to keep the Owen Sound London game going yesterday... I need to find this farmer because he deserves a huge pat on the back. (laughs) Gets out the backhoe to pull the Owen Sound Attacks bus out of the snow so it can get back on the road and make it to London where, oh yeah, by the way, the Owen Sound Attack lost 10 to nothing. I bet you they wish they stayed stuck in that laneway. Probably would have got a good meal, home-cooked meal in that farmhouse in the Listowel area. But that's what happened. Happened yesterday. So if you can help me find that farmer, I would be forever grateful to you. But what a story. On the way to the game in London, the attack bus gets stuck. And if not for the farmer, they might still be sitting in that laneway somewhere in the Listowel area. All right. The aforementioned update from the City News Center is coming up. And then we all know that 
there is a, a plan, an aggressive plan, to go all-electric vehicle in this country by 2035, in the next 11 years. Here's the thing. We've got some automotive manufacturing in the region of Waterloo, don't we? So how do we ensure that we here in the region are a player in this electric vehicle market? We're going to talk about that coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. the time when we start thinking about the economy in the region of Waterloo, we think about tech and our tech sector. But when we do that, we overlook the manufacturing aspects of our economy that are still going strong. And in fact, one of the world's largest automakers, in fact, I do believe Toyota is the biggest automaker on the planet. And it has an operation, of course, in Cambridge and has for several decades now. In light of recent investments in St. Thomas for a Volkswagen plant, in Windsor for a Stellantis plant, uh, talk just last week about $18 billion from Honda. Uh, and and the, the hopes are that, and this is without any government subsidization, by the way, but the hopes are that Honda and its electric vehicle manufacturing or components thereof will come to Ontario. That's a pretty significant investment. But what about Toyota? And what about this region's opportunity to be a player in this growing market? Because as we've been told, 11 years from now, the plan is to be selling nothing but electric vehicles. Ian McLean is the president and CEO of the Greater KW Chamber of Commerce and joins us for a conversation. Morning, Ian. Always good to be with you, Michael. Always good to have you, sir. And hey, by the way, how about those kitchen arrangers? You know what? I've been I listen to you, and uh, very exciting. The lads are playing some great hockey. They've uh, the big trade, and uh, I, I they're an exciting team to watch. That is for sure. They certainly are. We're having a lot of fun with it. Uh, I'm sure you've got your hands full outside of enjoying the local hockey team. Kind of keeping your eye on this evolving market and and trying to make sure that. You know, we have a piece of the pie, so to speak. How how do we ensure that we can be a player in this electric vehicle market, Ian? Well, I think in your opening, I think it, it's good for people to to understand. While we are known for tech, and that's that does a lot for all of our sectors, right? Tech, new technology and new innovation across every business sector is is important. So we're blessed with the tech community here. But manufacturing is still twenty five. It's about a quarter of the jobs and a quarter of the economy is in manufacturing, especially advanced manufacturing. So it is, it is, it is our, the bread and butter of Waterloo Region, and, if, and for a lot of ways, southwestern Ontario, this is where the manufacturing base is. So at our own peril do we disregard that. Uh, I know that Tony Lamantia and the Waterloo Economic Development Corporation and his team do a fantastic job of, of um, you know, dealing with, with uh, um, 
business and, and, and advanced tech company or, or manufacturing companies from around the world and in Europe and in you know uh, Brazil and other places that that want to set up shop here so they're doing their work I think partly you know when we talk think about Toyota they are here they have their Woodstock plant they have their, obviously their big plant in in, in Cambridge um, we should be Making sure that we're we've we've got land for them to to continue to grow that we that we're doing everything we can to keep them here and and, and encouraging them to grow in in uh, in Waterloo region because they're already here. Um, but make no mistake, automakers of all descriptions right around the world they will go where the uh, the future is brightest. And if we don't have if we're not making putting our best step our best foot forward. Um, we're at risk of, of losing the next expansion or the next uh, uh, the next opportunity to invest, and and so, you know, it's it's in all our interest. I know that there's a consensus here in Waterloo Region locally that that Toyota is a huge employer. They're a huge magnet for the supply chain of, uh, especially in the new supply chain for in the EV market. Um, so, you know, it's in all of our interest to to uh, to make sure that we're um, we're getting that next investment of Toyota here um, in Waterloo Region. Yeah, and when you talk about the competition for these operations, Ian, that really strikes me because right now it sounds as though Toyota is looking south of the border, and I think there's more perhaps than even just our region and the municipality that has to be at the table here to try to attract these kinds of investments to our community. Yeah, like make no mistake. I mean, we've even uh, Flavio Volpe's been on our show on business to business. He's the president of the Auto Parts Manufacturer Association. He was at the table for the for the you know re, um, negotiation of of the uh, free trade agreement, um, and so he is well versed on on these things. Saying we're in a super cycle in, of investment in auto as we make this transition. Um, and, but there's competition. Everyone wants this. Every place, and there is no question that U.S. jurisdictions um, are are you know they're putting their best foot forward, just like we are. So, w- w- you know what we what we need to do here is we've got some built-in advantages because they are here. We do have we're connected to the you know the the, the Toronto Waterloo corridor. We've got we've got lots of source of talent. So there's lots of reasons for us to be putting our best foot forward. But but we should not be complacent at all. We need to be putting you know common voice at at the government level, municipally, provincially, federally, and be thinking about what this means. This is the type of um, if 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 you know in putting a new plant here is once you make that decision, it's a lot less likely that you're going to take it and go somewhere else. When you're at this point of saying where are we going to put our thing, you know the the options are endless. Uh, seemingly for for uh, the auto um, manufacturers, so um, I, you know Toyota knows what they're getting with in Waterloo region. So we we had best make sure that we're putting our best foot forward, at you know in terms of a, a, our, our governments, municipally, provincially, and federally, because this would be a complete own goal wasted opportunity if Toyota is not making this region their focal point for their the, uh, the the next generation of EV vehicles uh, in the Toyota family. If we are complacent here, Ian, my worry would be that, you know, because the plants that we have are making gasoline-powered automobiles and components, it just withers on the vine, doesn't it? Yeah, 
and, and there's going to be a transition, but that's actually what what's happening out. I mean, the the Honda news from last week, which I was was startling, but Honda is actually playing a bit of catch up because they have not been, they haven't got their EV. Um, site, and that's why they're coming here and saying, where is the best place for them to set up? So, you know, a big investment on their part. It's not being all put forward by the by by governments, uh, municipally, provincially, and federally. But that's an opportunity because this could be the the location for them. Much in the same way for Toyota, as they get to more from hybrid vehicles, which they produce, and those are the states. If, if their electric vehicle operation is going to be here, and that's an opportunity, we of course should be saying that is that would be the you know the the the, the best thing for uh, the Canadian economy, the provincial economy, and most certainly for the regional economy is if if that new facility and that new investment of hundreds of millions or billions of dollars is made here in Waterloo Region. So what's required of us to make sure that we're at least in the conversation here, Ian? What uh, entities have to come together here to make the case? Yeah, I, I think that the, some of this is already happening. I mean, this, these things don't necessarily happen in is, but making sure that we're that we've got shovel ready, land ready, that's service, right? It's like I mean, these things are boring in some respects, but they are the the core pieces. Do we have land available that's ready for them to go? Do we are, are we working with them on, on what their needs are? Um, you know, uh, provincially and federally, they are. We know that Vic Fidelli and uh, Minister Champagne are out kind of, you know, on the economic development file of working with these companies saying, what is it that it's going to take to make that investment here? So this is a, this means, you know, this is not one level of government. It's all three. And we as a community have to be, be, be pushing that and saying, we want that investment here. And remember one thing, whether, you know, the next, anything that's in, south, in, in, in the region of Waterloo is good for the surrounding area of southwestern Ontario, right? So we've got that built-in advantage because we have a plant in Woodstock and, and a Toyota plant in Woodstock and, and Cambridge. And if, you know, we, we assume, I assume, I'm not on the inside, but I assume that they're looking for that new investment. We've just got to be there being a, a willing host um, with the other levels of government of saying, what's it going to take? And I think Greg was quoted in the same newspaper article I was on the weekend saying, like, we all have to understand we have to invest money to make money. And remember, this is a long-term play. If, this, if, they, if we get that announcement and know what that investment's going to be here, we're not talking years, we're talking decades. We are talking about this being um, a foundational anchor investment here in Waterloo Region that will take us, you know, you know down the road by 20, 30, 50 years um, and, and that's that's hugely important. These are well-paying jobs. They w- they also will leverage the um, you know the autonomous vehicle uh, institute at the University of Waterloo and and the technology sector and Chris Albinson and the folks at Communitech and all of the folks that are that are involved in in innovation and technology. So. This is this will drive other investments. It will drive supply chain of this new of this new you know um, type of vehicle. Uh, that that we, we've got a huge opportunity to get into that next generation of of um, uh, a vehicle and the supply chain that supports it, which are great jobs, great opportunities for innovators and entrepreneurs here in Waterloo Region, which produces jobs, which produces the tax revenue to support all of the things 
we we need to do on climate, on um, you know investing in social infrastructure, housing, affordable affordability. This is this is this is not a moment for us to shy away from saying we need to make sure we get this investment because we know it will pay off in spades uh, down the road. Ian, I always appreciate your time on the show, especially after you just did your own show on the station yesterday. Thanks very much for being here. I, you know what? Always a pleasure to be with you, Michael, anytime. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ian McLean is the president and CEO of the Greater KW Chamber of Commerce. Ian, along with his counterpart at the Cambridge Chamber of Commerce, Greg DeRocher, together host Business to Business every Sunday from noon until 1 right here on City News 570. And I kind of chuckled when Ian talked about, well, I know this is boring, you know, shovel-ready land, things like this, etc. Uh, 30 or more years ago, me, yep, boring. Today, the furthest thing from, because Ian spells it out so well there. We're not, we're not just talking about the immediate future. We're talking decades down the road. And, you know, whether you like all of the the talk that goes around uh, investments that our governments are making in St. Thomas, in Windsor with Volkswagen, Stellantis, etc. But they talk about thousands of jobs over decades, like 30 years and beyond. This is the sort of thing that we're talking about here in the region of Waterloo. And and sometimes I, I think I'm guilty about kind of forgetting that Toyota's there until I'm stuck in traffic at shift change, right? But it's been here for so long. It's been such a great corporate partner. It's employing so many people that it's just kind of become, yeah, a part of our everyday. But now, as the electric vehicle transition is really gaining traction, reports are that Toyota is looking at sites in the United States to establish its EV footprint. And I I think we would be remiss to not at minimum say, hang on a second here. You've got a significant footprint right here, right now. You've got another footprint just down the road in Woodstock. And just imagine, if you will, from a little, what, northeast in Alliston, swinging down here to the region of Waterloo, over west to Woodstock, and then a little bit south into St. Thomas, and then continuing westbound into Windsor, and oh boy, do we have ourselves an electric vehicle connection here in the southern part of Ontario? But part of that connection would be Toyota. And if reports are accurate that they're looking at sites south of the border in the United States, how do we attract Toyota's attention to where they already exist and how we here in the region can be a part of that economic future for not just Toyota, but of course looking after our own economic self-interest 519-570-2545 star 570 1-800-570-5715 john good morning good morning mike um just to to digress a little bit i remember in the 70s living in country hills uh area of kitchener where the government gave me a rebate to get off of baseboard electric heating and get onto natural gas so i don't know where we're going with this but I just wanted to digress from your, your caller's point for, for a moment, and, and I'm a little confused in that respect. But another component uh, besides government funding that I think, and, and uh, your guest talked about some of the things that are required to attract these businesses, 
I think some of the onus lies with us, the consumers. We need to somehow reciprocate to Toyota, to, to uh, Honda, who have taken the uh, financial, uh, I guess, risk to build facilities in, in Alliston, in Cambridge. And I just don't understand why there are so many Kias and Hyundais on the road. They do not manufacture here in Canada. So I think as consumers, we need to reciprocate. If the big issue is, is manufacturing and, and using that manufacturing idea to, to produce jobs, then why aren't we as consumers reciprocating and thanking these, these companies who come to Canada, whether it's automotive or, or whatever, and, and buying their products? So that's one of the questions I think that uh, your guest has to talk as well, uh, besides sticking uh, their, their hands in, into the, the government pockets. As consumers, we need to reciprocate. We need to thank these these huge conglomerates, these huge corporations for coming into our area and creating the jobs. John, appreciate the call and the thought. Talk about protecting one's own self-interest. But I totally understand where John is coming from. And on his initial point, I figured when we brought up this subject, it would get some of that pushback around the transition generally to electric vehicles. But I think the reality that we must recognize here is whether we agree with it or not, it's happening. Manufacturers are absolutely moving in that direction. And do we want to be a part of it or not? And certainly the Chamber of Commerce, and I would wholeheartedly agree with the position that, yeah, we should definitely want to be a part of it here in the region. And I think we can make a pretty darn good business case as to why we should be a part of that electric vehicle transition. We'll take a break, come back with more of your calls on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. Toyota knows what they're getting in Waterloo Region, so we had best make sure that we're putting our best foot forward in terms of our governments, municipally, provincially, and federally, because this would be a complete own goal wasted opportunity if Toyota is not making this region their focal point for the next generation of EV vehicles in the Toyota family. Ian McLean is the president and CEO of the Greater KW Chamber of Commerce. He spells it out pretty well right there. Don't forget that as much as there is that shiny bauble of tech, there's a pretty robust manufacturing sector in our region as well. About 25% of the economy is generated through manufacturing jobs. And the argument is with Toyota already having a significant footprint here and a long-lasting one, why not have the next generation of electric vehicle plant also located here in the region? Let's go back to the phones, hear more of your thoughts. Jeffrey, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Yep. Um, that, was, uh, that was really eye-opening to listen to Ian there. Um, and I've got a little bit of lived experience with this. I haven't worked at Toyota, but my mom worked there. She was on the floor for about... Uh, 10 or so years and worked her way up and she ended up getting into human resources, uh, human relations and whatnot. She was up in the office towards the end of her career uh, and ended up retiring at Toyota. I don't have a whole lot to do with my mom. God forbid that. I mean, that's a little bit of a shame, but I, I was with her when she was at Toyota and as she was about to retire, 
I can remember t- chatting with her, and she was really tight-lipped about it. She didn't want to uh, say who was coming to the plant. She said there was a big deal going on. This was in 2019. So I, I said to her, I said, oh, I said, it must be a big deal. I said, obviously, security and everything's there. I said, what, do you got the prime minister or something coming? She didn't say anything or whatever. But turns out about a week later, uh, Trudeau showed up. And he was there with uh, Fred Wolf. So I'm telling you, there's people that are that are that have worked at Toyota. They're listening now, and they're they're about to go in there or whatever. But Fred Wolf was there, and uh, Trudeau came in. And because of what happened in Oshawa with the GM and the Fiat plants and Chrysler, he came in and he was extremely pleased with the way that Toyota had come in, and they they were adapting a universal line that was going to allow them to produce a significant amount of same model cars under the same platform. So they didn't have to switch lines, for instance, to make a Lexus or a Corolla or whatever. It was all going to be done on the same line. Trudeau and those guys loved that. They came in with $1.4 billion. Came in with an investment. Yeah, I remember it, Jeffrey. And I'm so sorry. I got to cut you short because we got to get to the news update. But yes, and that just speaks to... The kind of corporate partner that I mentioned earlier, Toyota, has been over all this time. And, and look, yes, the feds know, the province knows. The question is, will we all be a part of this in the electric vehicle transition? That's the argument that, yes, we should be. An update from the City News Centre. And then David Drew is here for Drew's views on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. <laughs> has anybody heard from Crazy Dave? Has anybody heard from Crazy Dave? Has anybody heard from Crazy Dave? Now, that cat couldn't spell to win a bet, but he carried this battered notebook full of his poetry. More soul per square word than the Lord's Prayer. He was the kind of guy they called a spade, a shovel, and a violin, a fiddle, and a lady, ma'am. And I don't even know why I think of him now. Maybe because he never told me a lie he'd have to apologize for later. Because he'd speak to a guy straight, eyeball to bloodshot eyeball. Like he'd never even had a secret. How are my eyeballs today anyway, David Drew? I don't think they're bloodshot, although I did stay up a wee bit late watching football last night. Can I just say thank you to you and Dude in the Booth for not putting background music over that? <laughs> Devin is our guy on the thank other side you, of the Devin. glass. He is on fire. Well, as long as the uh, equipment doesn't let him down, which it's been doing a little bit today. But he's awesome. We love him. And yes, we're playing it cold because I think that's the way Scott Wicken should be played. Cold. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, my friend. Always good to see you. David Drew, the owner of Negotiating Change, Government Relations, Stakeholder Engagement Strategies, joins us every Monday, 1130, for Drew's Views. And boy, oh boy, do we have some things to discuss, including, like, I I can't believe you make me do this, but fine. Let's talk about David Menzies. Go ahead. Make me do it, David. Okay. Like, I am not a fan of the rebel at all. (laughs) I think they're more carnival buskers than journalists. I think not much good of them at all, shall we say, just to leave that go. And so I'm kind of grouchy at the RCMP right now for making me me feel bad for them. Because it doesn't matter how bad a journalist you are. That's not criminal. And you should not get locked up for being an alleged journalist or a bad journalist. And David Menzies got cuffed and stuffed for doing his job, doing nothing wrong. And when you watch the video of it, you're very confused because this was the most, I, I think in hockey they'd call it incidental contact. Um, 
He was walking one way, had his eyes focused on Christian Freeland, shoulder-to-shoulder, back-to-back contact with an RCMP officer who you can see entering his path. The RCMP officer arrests him for assaulting a police officer. And all I kept thinking when I watched that was the number of times the RCMP could have cuffed and stuffed me if that was the standard while I was working for Harold, because I was looking at the world through a camera lens whenever RCMP was around, because RCMP wasn't around unless there was somebody really important around or something really important going on. And so I'd be looking at the world through the camera lens, and the number of times I got stiff-shouldered by RCMP security, like I got, I got bruised a couple times. Those dudes are serious. They didn't arrest me, though. They let me know I was crossing a line, and they discouraged me from doing it. And then all of a sudden, I put my camera down and realized, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he got put in jail. Like, he got arrested and processed for a couple hours before the local police on scene basically laughed it off and said, this is a bit of a joke. There's no threat here. But how does this happen? And... Stupid RCMP making me feel bad for the rebel. Yeah. I mean, and stupid RCMP for giving the rebel another fundraising target. Like, they are buskers, like I said earlier. And this plays perfectly into their hands. I'm sure Ezra Levant has already sent out a couple fundraising emails to fight these charges that have already been dropped. I feel as though it's a case, because I think your description or characterization of David Menzies and his ilk as being buskers is spot on. And I can't help but wonder if maybe there's uh, an idea of throwing as much at the wall as possible until something sticks. In other words, they continue to behave in this manner, waiting for the RCMP to have a bad day and do something as stupid, in your words, as they did. Because there was zero a reason for this arrest, other than I think it speaks to the political climate in which we exist today. And I'm I'm going to give the officer here the benefit of the doubt and just say that he wanted to intercept somebody that was asking questions of Christia Freeland that he, the officer, didn't think Christia Freeland should be bothered with. If that is the scenario, he should be fired. Well, okay. No, no, like, ser- no but seriously, like that's just it. Like if the RCMP who are there to provide security are now just making arrests based on political cover, that is a huge problem. That is a bigger problem than somebody having a bad day. Um, I don't I don't know where to go with this, though, because, like, as much as I'm going to sit here and crap all over Rebel, you remember the National Enquirer? <laughs> Do I? But seriously, they broke legit stories. One in a hundred. That, that's what they did, was they kept throwing everything out, and they just didn't document as well as other journalists. But they were the first ones to come out with Monica Lewinsky allegations. Um. But the rebel, it doesn't even seem like they just have lower standards. It seems like they have an agenda and they are willing to put whatever works into that agenda in. I have no respect for them. But just because I don't respect somebody doesn't mean I think the law should be turned against them as a weapon. And, you know, we were talking about protests last week and how complicated some of this gets with the right to protest being one of our most fundamental rights. The right to ask questions of our politicians is kind of up there, too. And, yeah, he's a jerk. 
He has very little value to our society, but he's still a human being who is a Canadian asking questions of a politician. And yes, he was chasing her with the microphone, but it's not like he was swearing at her. It's not like he was threatening her. The questions may have been uncomfortable, but I think a lot of Canadians want to know why we haven't designated the Iranian security forces as a terrorist entity. Like, it's it's not off topic or out of bounds. So this was just wrong all around, and we haven't broached the possibility that the RCMP officer was asked by anyone to keep this guy away. Yeah, and that's where I I understand your point when I said, you know, this is throwing stuff at a wall, waiting for an officer to have a bad day, and you're like, well, if he was just intercepting uncomfortable yep. questions, he should be fired, because that does imply that perhaps he's being told to intercept uncomfortable <clears throat> questions. Well, no, no, I don't care whether he was told to or not. Like, even... If he was told to, then he shouldn't be fired. The person who told him to should be fired. But if there's somebody telling him to... They should be fired. But that's a very bad look. But even if he is just out there and looking at this and saying, oh my gosh, this guy's a pain in the butt, I'm going to use my government-granted monopoly on violence and detain him under the, like, framing him for an assault... It doesn't matter whether he was told to or not. That guy doesn't understand his role. Um, Chris Rock had that famous line, you know, some people just can't afford to have bad days. Yeah. Like pilots. Um, RCMP officers cannot have bad days. And one certainly did and made a uh, victim of one David Menzies in the process. Okay. Uh, I, I get the sense that you think Canada needs to make clear its position on the Middle East. I think we need to get a position on what is going on in the Middle East. The The position we took on the world court was a little bit, we've got the pole up our butt because we're on both sides of the fence. Um, I don't think it's reasonable to say that Israel is participating in a genocide. I also don't think Israel needs to be participating in a genocide to be doing bad things. And to be playing fast and loose with some of the conventions and rules of war. But a genocide? It's kind of laughable. But we can't come out and say that because we, I think it's Malaysia that we have a complaint out against. And we are trying to get the definition of genocide expanded. And we've talked about this in the context of terror before. Just because something is heinous and evil doesn't mean it has to be terrorism. And a lot of the times when you are trying to get this spectacular label attached to something that you don't like, you lose people because they're like, this label is so spectacular, blah, and you're dismissed. And it's like, yeah, but there's still horrible things going on. Children are being killed in Gaza. That is a horrible thing. Israel is not doing as much as I would like to see aid get across. That is a horrible thing. But... I've never seen a genocide where the potential victims were being warned in advance what areas to avoid to stay alive. There's so much stuff that just would automatically disqualify this from being a genocide. But South Africa's sitting there saying, no, 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 we got to call it a genocide. And they were also the country that refused to condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So just to put the perspective of the people who are keep throwing the accusation out. But we 
had this mealy-mouthed position that you can even find video or, yeah, video and audio online of Bob Ray and a hot mic. We said, well, we'll see how that goes after Canada cast its vote. And then at home, we finally seem to have managed to clear up the Avenue Road Bridge in Toronto. And to tangent on to our next topic a little bit early, hey, all of those people are now at Melanie Jolie's house, apparently. Yeah, so much like uh, the RCMP having a bad day or doing a bad job, I know that you are no fan necessarily of the job that Ms. Jolie has been doing in her portfolio, but come on, protesting outside her private residence? Exactly, like, that's just so... So beyond the pale. Um, She's got a kid, a young kid. Like, the kid was born after she became a member of parliament, so less than eight years old at the most. And this is going on? Um, Why? And this is a crazy thing because I could just as easily see Jewish protesters outside her house because of Canada's positions. We have taken no position... And we have both sides mad at us domestically. We are winning no friends internationally. But why, oh why, do you protest at a cabinet minister's house? I'll tell you exactly why, David. The exact reason why you protest outside a cabinet minister's house is because you are looking authority in the face and daring them, daring them to do something about it. Not to mention that up to this point, you have done what you wanted to do with impunity. So you figure, if I've done all of this already, this is just another tiptoe step forward. That's why. Yeah, and if I was one of Melanie Jolie's neighbors, I would be very happily the one taking the hit for calling the cops. I would call her up and say, I understand why you can't. These guys aren't really bothering me because we live in this nice privileged neighborhood with nice wide lots and frankly the protesters are far enough away. But if you want, I will call the cops for you and say they are bothering me. But what are they what are the cops going to do? The same thing they did on the Avenue Road Bridge for two or three weeks before they finally cleared it of protesters? Well, see, that's just it. There was an Avenue Road Bridge with no residences nearby. I think if you're in a residential neighborhood, the police are a little you know, even bylaw. You know, you're creating a disturbance, blah, blah, blah. And then it escalates from there. But I just, I go back to when Mike Harris was premier and the Ontario Coalition Against Poverty had a protest at Queen's Park. And this was the first time I was ever shocked by a protest because these anti-poverty activists were kneecapping police horses. Whoa. Because the horses were there to clear out the protesters and they were there to stay. Oh, my goodness. And that was the first time I was really genuinely shocked by political protest in this country. And I really looked at that as a bit of a change. And now I just look at everything that's happened since then. And I don't know that we've had anything as spectacular as kneecapping a horse. But and I should spectacular might not be the right word for that. But. We have cabinet ministers' houses being targeted. We have bridges on the 401 being shut down just because of their proximity to Jewish neighborhoods. Um, we had Ottawa shut down for a period of weeks. And it just sort of seems like the institutions that we talk about not holding, we always talk about these government institutions and this and that and the other, but 
our standards of behavior are one of the institutions that are really falling. Like we are now looking at so many things as acceptable that even 10 years ago would have been beyond the pale. And it can go from the discourse that comes out of Pierre Polyev's mouth to the protesters at Melanie Jolie's to, you know, it's just, it's across the board where if I believe that I am right, I can do and justify so much more than I used to be able to when we had value on each other as citizens and people. That's really well said. And I think you're onto something there. I can't help but wonder if there might be a sense of or a reality of protest fatigue. And so we're protesting so many things for so many reasons that the best way or only way now to get attention is to do the exaggerated. Yeah, it's we're now at the shock jock right. phase Great. of protests. Great um, example, yeah. Yeah, and it's sad because the other side of it too is we're losing our ability to have these conversations at the same time. Like, you know, you and I having a nuanced conversation, that is increasingly rare between among strangers, you know, people you barely know. It's like, I don't know. But what we are paying attention to is all the craziness on both sides. And that makes us believe that there are none of these reasonable conversations going on, which reduces our willingness to try and have a reasonable conversation, which creates more space for the wackos on both sides. I could not agree more. I have said before, and you have stated it very well, we are allowing the extremes to suck up all of the oxygen. And it's better invested in nuanced conversations just like this one. David Drew is the owner of Negotiating Change, Stakeholder Engagement, Government Relations Strategies. He joins us every Monday morning at 11.30 for Drew's Views and bonus time today. Are you ready for this? You're sticking around, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. I was nodding emphatically at you. They can see you on TV, but they can't By the way, which you. camera's mine? <laughs> um, I think this one. Yeah. Hello to the viewers at home. There you go. Hello to the viewers at home from David Drew, who's sticking around for the beginning of the 12 o'clock talk back today. He says you can ask him anything. So don't forget to ask him about his primary, uh, prime ministerial aspirations. I'm sure that'll be a topic of conversation. Stay with us on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. Time for the Local Business Spotlight on City News 570. And joined this morning by Faisal Susiwala, broker of record with REMAX Twin City, Faisal Susiwala Realty. Faisal, good morning. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. How about yourself? Very good, thank you. Glad to hear that. Can we start by talking about interest rates, please? Because I know that's top of mind for so many people as we enter a new year. Are we going to see any potential relief in 2024, do you think? Absolutely. I think we're heading in that direction. All signs, all of the economists and even the Bank of Canada has indicated that they will be pausing. And the understanding is that in this summer, we will see rates starting to drop. I understand from an economist that a quarter percent is expected after the first quarter and then it will follow after that, which really translates to more activity which uh, equals um, higher prices. So again, these are great times to start looking at buying before we start seeing that uh, audience uh, running towards bidding wars again. Yeah, you talk about those higher prices and a big headline in this morning's paper talks about a forecast that shows an increase 
to the price of houses in Canada. What are we this year? Uh, what are we seeing in the market right now? Well, you know, after months and months of stagnation, we're starting to see life in the market again. Um, with the listings that I have, steady and constant viewings, offers are starting to come in. Properties that were sitting for a long time are now starting to get activity and even sales are starting to happen. So so definitely there's the, there's that confidence coming back into the market. And again, any pause in the interest rates will be seen in the market as a positive sign and we will see an uptick in activity for sure. One of the things that we've been talking an awful lot about, Faisal, generally when it comes to housing is supply, supply, supply. We need 1.5 million new homes in Ontario. We need 3.5 million homes across Canada. How is this creation of more housing going anyway? Well, it's it, it, sadly not very well. The Tri-Cities will likely lose $15 million in provincial funding after not reaching its 2023 housing target. That means only 56% of the target was met. That uh, 5,133 homes were to be started, but we did not get to that number. Last year alone, 23,000 applications were submitted, and there's a disconnect here. When you have 23,000 applicants um, creating housing and you're not even getting, you know, 25 to 2,700 homes out there, that is a real issue. So I think we're in big trouble. Um, there has to be some relief from the municipal, provincial levels on builders and, and developers to encourage housing development. Funding needs to start reaching the Tri-Cities. The Tri-Cities need to be lobbying the federal and provincial government to make sure that we get our share of the uh, funding that is out there because other municipalities are getting it. Why are we not? I know over the last number of years, Faisal, especially when interest rates were a lot lower, people started investing in their homes, doing renovations, etc. And if they decide they're going to stay where they are and, and not sort of enter that real estate market, you've always been great at helping us understand what renos we can do that get us, say, the most bang for our buck. What should we be looking for to really increase value and get return on that investment? Well, kitchens and bathrooms are a given, and, and we've always talked about that. Now, a lot of people shifted gears into swimming pools, patios, you know, doing a lot of exterior sort of ex- outdoor living. There's value in that if you're going to be staying there long term. But if you're going to be thinking about moving in the next two to five years, really look at the layout of your home. Increase the number of bedrooms in your home. If there's an attic that's unfinished, finish that attic. Add to square footage without adding square feet additions because additions can be very costly if there if your rooms are all closed in perhaps your kitchen is closed off from your living room or your family room you know get an engineer in there open that wall up have more open concept living have more spaces that are convertible and if if there's an option to create an in-law or an income suite then that's definitely going to have a high rate of return always great information Faisal thank you very much for joining the show this morning my pleasure. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Faisal Susiwala is a broker of record with REMAX Twin City, Faisal Susiwala Realty. He joins us on the program this morning, and you can find him online at homeshack.com. The local business spotlight, where your business comes first on City News 570. Take out the papers and the trash.
COVID. Just finish cleaning up your room. Oh, come on. Go ahead and talk back. These aren't your parents. We encourage the talking back. Every day from noon until 1, it's the 12 o'clock talkback hour. That music gets you in the mood, doesn't it? So does the sunshine. Morgan from Guelph. Love our listeners in the Royal City. Sent an email earlier today to Mike at 570news.com. So nice the sun is out. Morgan's email started. I could not agree more. Even nicer that David Drew has decided to stick around a wee bit longer today. Now, he does have a job he must get back to doing, but... You're here. Why? Like, did I did I bribe you? I don't recall an envelope of money exchanging hands. But you're going to sit here and take some time on the talkback hour. Well, the envelope of money can come later. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll talk to the powers that be. No, there's no money that ever changes hands except when David and I make a wager. But usually, when we wager, it's over cups of coffee. All right, five one nine five seventy twenty five forty five star five seventy. And 1-800-570-5715. It is your 12 o'clock talkback hour to talk about whatever it is that you want. And maybe, just maybe, you've got a question you would like to ask David Drew because he said to me last week when coming up with this idea all by himself, I'll do a half hour of ask me anything if you want me to. I said, I sure as hell do you want you to do that. So David is still here. And we will start with Andre. Good afternoon, Andre. Good afternoon. Finally. Um, Finally, you get to talk to David Drew, right? Yeah, he can be uh, himself. Uh, don't worry, uh, Roger's camera's off. They're over, right? Yeah, Roger's oh. is over, yes. Okay, so let's just be ourselves. Okay, I'm out. <laughs> it's you and David. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, Mike, lift your feet up. I'll talk to David. Hi, David. How are you doing, Andre? Uh, I'm doing better now that I'm talking to you. Um, I just want to say that uh, I lost a lot of senses. And my senses are, are, are very hyper. And uh, I feel, not just because you say it, but how honest you are. And that's why I uh, I bring the joke up so everybody knows. But let's get back to bit to... Uh, Wait, what's the joke, Andre? What's the joke you bring up? Uh, that I believe that he should be our next prime minister. Okay, can we so just leave that I'm for going. a second? Because I would like to hear David's response to that. No, 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 I'm not done. Oh, sorry. I'm just, I said I was staying out, and now I'm in. Sorry. Put your feet up. Yep. <laughs> no, so what I'm saying is uh, because he's very honest and he gives his true opinion, like I said to you earlier on your show way a long time ago, Mike, is uh, politics is too big for my back, and David is there for his honest opinion. And so that's why I say we need an honest prime minister, and I know it's hard because when they get there, they, they, they change switch. Um and it just feels... Uh, Andre, I don't think we can have an honest prime minister in this country. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very honest with you right now. If I wanted to be prime minister, I think one of the first things I'd have to give up is my honesty. Give up your own opinion? I'd have to give up my honesty if I wanted to be prime minister. No. <laughs> no. So what I'm saying is that you have my vote to be you. And that's where I'm asking. If you were prime minister... And now you almost have to answer the question. But if you were, what would you do to get Canada whole again? Um, one of the things that Justin Trudeau promised when he was first elected was a return to government by cabinet. And I think that would be a really, honestly, a really easy, great first step. 
Cabinet ministers used to be the local antenna for issues management in their areas, and they're not doing that. Everything's now being run out of the prime minister's office. And I think if you actually had people on the ground who were listening with skin in the game like elected officials who are in cabinet, that would go a long way. Mm-hmm. Andre, thanks for uh, thanks for calling in today. It's always good to hear from you. Yeah, yeah thanks, yeah, Andre. So What's that? Oh, I, I'm so innocent that when you say cabinet, I think that cabinet they all have near uh, on the other side of the river on Gatineau side. On the other side, <laughs> that's our cabinet. <laughs> Take care, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Andre. I appreciate it. Uh, more than anything, out of that conversation, I want to know why Andre thinks I'm such a lying McLiarton over here. It's David that brings his honest opinion every day to the show. I well, see. Well, Mike, you're with that dirty media. Oh, right. How you can know, I forget? You can't trust the mainstream media, Mike. In which case, I'm more fit for office than you are based on your answer that you would have to give up your honesty. I'm already there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've, my soul has been tainted. Kyle, it's the 12 o'clock talk back. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's so cold that I tried to open the door to get out of the house today and it was frozen shut. No, it wasn't. Was it really? Yeah, it actually was. I had to tell my employee to kick my door to open my door just so I could see him this morning. You got to get out of Listowel, dude. Hey, you know what? What? If I was going to go anywhere, it'd be back to Kitchener, my friend. That's where I'd be. Okay, stay in Listowel then. They like you there. I got got a story. Actually, I got a hockey story to tell you. You know, you were were saying about the stories on, you know, what happened over the weekend, the the, the storms and stuff. So Friday, Listowel played Elmira. I was timekeeping. Game was great. You know, both sides played really, really hard. And the power went out four times. But being Canadian and boys love hockey, women love hockey, it's our national sport. Did that stop us? Absolutely not. We put the, the time back up. It went, the power flickered four times, and we continued, and we finished the game that night. So Just remember, go. it's our national winter sport, lacrosse. Well, lacrosse is our, our, is our summer sport. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Or, sorry. A national winter sport. Sorry, I'm not politically correct. No, I, I'm not. I'm not asking you to be politically correct. I'm just asking you to be correct. All right. Well, that's hard to do sometimes. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Mike, I'm still on the lookout for who that uh, farmer is. We got to find the farmer. I made a couple of phone calls and I still am, I'm, I'm dead air. So if I find him, I'll I'll go to his house and I'll uh, I'll go on scene for you and ask him questions for you. How about that? <laughs> I just need a hook. I need to. I need to know who this farmer was with the with the backhoe that saved the Owen Sound attacks bus. I'll do my best. I'll do my best. All right. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Mike. Yep. Good to hear from you. Uh, I'll I'll get back to that story in just a moment. How did you weather the weekend? Pun intended, David Drew. I didn't leave the house very no. much. Oh. I had a a delivery show up four months early. And so I lost my weekend to playing with my new present. Oh, right. The guitar got there. And so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I didn't leave my house very much. So on, way, on the way from Owen Sound to London yesterday, the Owen Sound Attacks team bus got a little bit uh, discombobulated in the weather and took a wrong turn. And then in an effort to reverse course and get back on track, they ended up stuck in a laneway in the quote-unquote Listowel area. So I know that Kyle is from Listowel. I sent him a message over the weekend because in order to get the bus out of the laneway, farmer comes out with the tractor and tries to help by pulling it. Tractor couldn't do the job, so he had to go back and get his backhoe. But this farmer got the Owen Sound Attacks bus out of his own laneway, so I guess there's some self-interest being preserved there, but then 
got the bus on the way to uh, London where the Owen Sound attack got their butts beaten. But if not for the farmer in the Listowel area, that bus would still be stuck. I was heading up to Sudbury once at Christmas time or winterish, and I hit some black ice. Car did a like you know the shiny side stayed up the whole time. Don't get me wrong about that, but I ended up five feet off the road in a snowdrift. It was a little Honda Civic, couldn't get it out. Pre cell phone days, so I'm sitting there just you know waiting. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And this bus stops, and the Humber College volleyball team gets out. And lifts my car back onto the road. Come on. And like it took them all of five minutes. And they didn't even ask my name or anything like that. They were just like coming up going, ah. And then they lift the car up and they're all cheering each other. They get back on the bus. And I'm just like, thanks. Um, like what's going on? That is one of the coolest stories I've ever heard. The Humber College volleyball team lifts your Honda Civic out of a snowdrift and back onto the road. Yeah. Amazing. I wasn't like waving them down or anything. I will never forget when you mentioned that black ice and spinning around, but the shiny side stayed up. Thank goodness. I witnessed that on the expressway. Like I was, I was younger. I couldn't remember how old. I, maybe my twenties doesn't matter. But I'm, I'm just driving along, and all of a sudden, the car in front of me started doing multiple three sixties. I'm like, what just happened? Fortunately. Nothing happened to me, but I watched this car just spin and spin and spin. I'm like, how did that happen? The black ice, but hooey. And it was quite the weekend for that, especially up Owen Soundway. So. Okay. The worst with the black ice is you see somebody else hit it, and your instinct is to hit the brakes, which is, is the, the worst exactly. thing you can do. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, my mission is to find that farmer in the Listowel area that got the bus out. So if you know the farmer, the, come on, it's a small town, Listowel, right? It's a small county, North Perth. Let's go. Somebody knows something, and I want to. I want to meet that farmer. Gosh darn it! I want to meet him. Grant, you're on the twelve o'clock talkback, and David Drew is here. You can ask him anything you want. Yeah, I wasn't going to ask you, but I. But now you came up with a question. Yeah. Okay. I want to know his views. He seems to be a smart. One of the guy. smartest guys I know. Yep. Um. About. Oh, uh, about. Justin Trudeau, Trudeau, when he went on that trip, he, I understand he hired this Yahoo that allowed him to go to this... Oh, right, the ethics commissioner. You brought this up and I didn't know the answer. And I think if he... I think the us people should be voting this guy in. I get it. I, I totally get it, Grant. So Grant asked... We, we've talked, David, about the vacation... And you didn't begrudge the vacation. You did not love the communication of said vacation, though. Well, I'm, I'm going to fundamentally disagree with the premise. Rather than saying we should elect the ethics commissioner and the conflict of ethics, whatever, I think we should fire them. And we should use our own best judgment at the ballot box. Like, I'm sorry, I can understand that politicians are sitting there writing these rules when I think there's this one line that every voter needs to take, keep in mind, is does this pass the smell test? And we don't need somebody paid a couple hundred thousand dollars a year with support staff and all of that to tell us something stinks. Um, I, I, I think we've put up all of these barriers to decide whether a politician's actions are okay or not in these official bodies. And all that's ever happened since is politicians do scuzzy things and say, but it was cleared. And I don't think the solution is for us to pick the person who decides whether something is cool or not. I think 
the solution is for us to decide for ourselves. Does the Prime Minister hire the Ethics Commissioner? Not quite. Okay, I didn't think so either, but... No, it's a, it's an independent body, but it is an order in council. So in theory, you know, it's it's no the the prime minister would be involved in some way, but it's more of a sign off. Okay, uh, okay, no, good to know. And because because Grant asked the question, mm-hmm. and I did not know the answer. Okay, brace yourself because we haven't heard from Walter in a while, so Walter might have a lot to say. Let's find out. Walter, good uh, afternoon. Hey, how's, how's it going, there, fellas? We're awesome. Good, good. Listen, uh, I heard David say that, you know, we should elect people to make the uh, decisions. Well, you know, the problem is is that whoever's in power, when they let in um, all these immigrants um, that are coming in and refugees, those people tend to vote for whoever is in power at that time, regardless. But uh, I'll wait to hear his answer on that one. But, Mike, I have a question for you. Okay. Can I get, like, as an example... Can you get a secondary assist on your own goal? No. Absolutely not. You get one point per goal, whether you scored it or got an assist on it. Okay, because I had an argument with a guy, and I was on your side, and he was saying, no, 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 that's not how... How could we ever have a goal scored by Farwell, assisted by Drew and Farwell? Not possible unless my brother was playing. Well, yeah, it was... Exactly, you know, exactly. like I pass it to you, you pass it back to me, and I score. It's it's like one point you get. Yes, absolutely, no question about it. Appreciate the question. Easy answer there. I, I like where Walter was going, David, with you when it comes to elected, and essentially what I think Walter was referring to is this: he was putting forward the idea that what the liberal government may be doing is immigrating their voter base, which I think is a, you know. Uh, a pretty cynical view of things, but... I, I think there is a little bit to that, but not as much as we might think. If you look at where the explosion in immigration numbers have been occurring, it's not in permanent residence and new citizen track. It's students and temporary foreign workers who don't seem to have that track. So, you know, there's there's not as many votes there when you're sending people home at the end of it. And then the other side of it, too, though, is you have a lot of new Canadian communities who want us to cut down on immigration right now because they are looking at the settlement services and the environment, and they are feeling like it's not the offer it used to be to come to Canada. So especially on the refugee side, um, when you, you know, like there was a story on the CBC about Ukrainians having to leave Waterloo Region because of job and ho- jobs and housing. Yeah, that's not just a Waterloo region thing. Um, that's across Canada. And the idea of coming here for a better life and living on the streets to do it is not doing the government in power any favors. Um, I do think that was true in the 60s and 70s, though. I really do think it was true back then. And it's one of those stories that was once true that lives on like it is still true. It's not really that true anymore. David Drew is staying with us for some bonus time today. He says you can ask him anything, but but we do have to let him get back to work. He's only here till 12.30. This is the 12 o'clock talk back with David Drew and Mike Farwell on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. David Drew stuck around a little late today, which is bonus for me. I'll take a little bit of extra time off on a Monday. He stays with us for several more minutes until... 
1230 update from the City News Center. He says you can ask him anything if you so choose. He's just uh, a part of the conversation here on the 12 o'clock talk back. And let's get right back to our full phone lines. Bob, good afternoon. Gee, Mike, I guess I missed my phone call this morning. I, I'm sorry, your phone cut out on me there, Robert. So I guess I missed my phone call this morning. What phone call did you... Oh, right. We were going to call you at 6 o'clock when the show was all set to let you know. But I knew you were going to be listening anyway, Bob. <laughs> did you like the healthcare segment? No, actually, I missed that. I, I was Are you joking right now? You missed that? Well, you didn't call him. You're right. I should have called him. I threatened on Friday to call him because Bob was some kind of mad at me for uh, not covering healthcare and instead talking too much about hockey. If you're going to call somebody, you should call them. I should call him. Bob, I'm calling you tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, 6.15, I get here. Is that okay? You have to call later on because, again, I've got appointments. Well, I don't know, but at 6.15, you don't have appointments at 6.15 okay. in the morning. I'm calling you tomorrow morning at 6.15. Okay, you do that. Okay. Do you want to complain about Doug Ford today? Well, actually, I'm going to know why. It's an old one I had. Okay, an old one. Yeah. Why, when Justin was out of politics and wearing blackface in the play, there was a big stink about it. And yet the current leader of the Conservative Party, when he became the leader of the Conservative Party, had his picture taken beside a guy saying straight lies matter, a straight pride. And there was hardly anything said at all. Well, I don't know that I'd say hardly anything was said at all. David, do you think there was a comparison between the blowback on Polya for that photo and Justin Trudeau's blackface? Well, no. I, there, there was um, coverage of that. But I'm not sure that, you know, like, you're a politician. You're getting your picture taken with people all the time. Um, you tend not to sit there and vet what they're wearing. Now, that was a failure, though, of Polyev's staff, because me as the guy who was looking through the camera lens, it would have been my job to say, boss, look at that. Do you really want a picture? <laughs> um, but I, I really don't. You know, you can unknowingly have your picture taken with someone whose T-shirt is objectionable. You don't have time to look at all of that stuff. But I don't know that you can unknowingly end up in blackface more times than you're able to remember. That is an excellent point. Okay, we'll squeeze in one more before David has to go. Marius, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Mike. I'll be nice today. What? Why? I promised David some fireworks from you. (laughs) Please. Uh, Look, I have a quick question. Yes. Um, I work in construction, and we hear from the federal government all the time that uh, we really need high immigration because we don't have enough people in the construction sector. And me being in construction for 20-some years, we don't need more people. The problem I see today is that we have way too many illegal immigrants taking work and doing work for really cheap, hiding in, um, you know, in really big uh, construction sites. Uh, my question to you is, is this just a soundbite by the, by the immigration minister to sort of, uh, you know, have us looking elsewhere? Interesting question. I heard a stat on the weekend, and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to remember it, but it's one of those things that I've always wondered about. It's like we say we need more immigration for the construction workers, and it's like, well, what percentage of our immigrants are construction workers and I don't remember what the exact number was but it was less than 10% and that means 93% have nothing to do with construction so are we really like you know 
if nine-tenths of what we're taking in have nothing to do with construction, is construction a real reason to have these numbers going the way they are? And it's, that's not a pro-immigration or anti-immigration argument. That's just a... There's a red herring being thrown out there for us to look at in this. What if we don't know the real number, though? What if there's under-the-table work going on for really, really cheap, which benefits both parties, right? What if? Yeah. Uh, mm. Like, that's a set you, you, you... Hence the red herring. Well, I am sure that there are some illegal workers in Ontario. I'm not sure that it's worse in construction than it would be in certain other jobs that I'm not going to start listing off from the top of my head, but hey, you know, you look at the temporary foreign workers thing and you have a whole lot of labor advocates who would say that that is just a cheap way for employers to get around labor code issues. Um, are we doing justice by our temporary foreign workers? Um, or on the other side, are we making it too hard for some sectors to get temporary foreign workers and that is why they are hiring illegally? This is a whole nut to crack that is a whole lot more complicated than I'm ready to talk about off the cuff. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe we'll figure it out some point down the road because David joins us every Monday at 1130 for Drew's Views. Today, he stuck around for a little bit of the 12 o'clock talk back. And Mary, our disappointment is registered that you did not call and speak to David today. I was really, time. really looking forward to meeting Mary on the phone. Next time, it might. there's always next time, David. Next time you have the time to stay with us. We're going to continue the 12 o'clock talk back right after this update from the City News Center. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. It is that time of day where we open up the phone lines and allow you the opportunity to have your voice heard by tens and tens of other people. It's the 12 o'clock talk back. Give us a call at 519-570-2545, star 570, or 1-800-570-5715. You can bring forward something in the news that's on your mind, bothering you, just something that you want to pick the nit of, or you're just in the mood for a conversation. Give us a call, and let's have that conversation. Right back to the phones we go. Toll-free Jay, my man. This is your 812th listener. My 812th. Jay, I think you missed a few between 41 and 812, but I'll take it, buddy. I'll take it. The people who know me, they know why. Oh, um, well, hang on a second. Jay, I, I think I know you a little bit. Why is it 812? Apartment number. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, what would you recommend for football cuisine? What would I recommend for football cuisine? Are you going to be watching tonight at 430? Oh, am I going to be watching today at 4? Does a bear do you-know-what in the you-know-where? Exactly. Yes, Exactly. Um, I don't know. Like I, I'm pretty much a. Uh, I, I eat so many different things. But my beloved even called me this morning to check in because she said I was trying to figure out what the foods were common to Pittsburgh, and apparently the Steelers fans or the city of Pittsburgh loves its pierogies. So perhaps you'd like to go that way. Well, you got the because you got the pierogies and the uh, wings. You could go wings for Buffalo, but I'm going pierogies for Pittsburgh. Well, uh, exactly, and. Uh... 
We'll uh, enjoy. Thank you. You as well. We'll talk. Appreciate the call. I mean, listen, I could go nachos. I could go sausage on a bun. The only problem I'm going to have, and this is one of the toughest things, like I thought it would be easier. I really felt like I enjoyed all of my holiday time. I had the beer vent calendar, so I had basically a beer a day from the beginning of December right up until Christmas. I enjoyed a few more pops over the holidays. And then my beloved and I decided we were going to do a dry January. And goodness gracious me, like how much would I like a cold beer this afternoon with my football game? I would also like just to take this opportunity to thank the commissioner of the National Football League for rescheduling the Bills-Steelers game to today because I was very concerned about my ability to stay focused on my job yesterday calling the Kitchener Rangers game when the Bills and Steelers were supposed to be playing. As it turns out, you couldn't have played football for a lick yesterday in Buffalo, so we get the game this afternoon, and I am ready for it. I mean, I'm not expecting the best result for my team, but at least I get to be there with them until the bitter end. So thank you, Commissioner of the NFL, for making sure I would be available to see the Pittsburgh Steelers game today. I don't care what other team they're playing. And quickly, I'll let you know, I wore my Steelers gear to work today, and I walked directly, as soon as I got here, down the hall and into the studio where Brady and Tara do the morning show on Chime 96.7. Brady is a huge, huge Buffalo Bills fan. I cannot repeat to you what he said to me when I walked into the studio, but let me be clear, I was basically in the studio and then out of the studio because he did not want anything to do with me and my outfit today. Meantime, Tara was laughing hysterically, so I think I accomplished what I set out to accomplish with that. All right, back to the phones. Mark, good afternoon. Hi, Mike. That's funny. Uh, you were just talking about football. Yeah. That's why I was calling. Good. You're going you're gonna to go home, kick up your feet today, and watch your Steelers play their last game of the season. Saddle down now. Saddle down. Don't hang up on me, Mike. Don't make me come over there, Mark. <laughs> what are you going to do? Kick snow in my face? I just might do that. There's plenty of it. Okay, buddy. Good luck today, but um, it's going to be a tough one. It, it is going to be a tough one, but hey, it's not going to be easy for you guys either. What do you mean? Well, I'm assuming you're cheering for the Bills. You're right. Well, you're what, right. what you think it's going to be easy walking over my steel curtain football team? Uh, the steel curtain is turned to um, plastic. Settle down. Settle okay, down. Okay, Mike. Okay, Mark. <laughs> See you later. Oh, I love it. If you can't have fun over a sporting event, I don't think you can have fun anymore. Greg, good afternoon. Hey, Mike. Hey, buddy. Oh, I'll thank the commissioner too because if you remember. Um, it was my first Rangers game yesterday, too. Once I saw the schedule of the Bills, it's like, oh, no. But then it's like, yes, 4.30. Now I can do them both. But uh, at the Ranger game yesterday, actually, a few questions came up. Um, how good are you on rules? I heard, I heard somebody else actually ask about that weird, like, can you assist on your own goal thing? Because what I noticed is that I swear that growing up, anytime a puck goes off the opposing team and in the net, no assists are eligible. Yet they hand them out anyways as if it never did get tipped. Am I dreaming, or is, or is that changed? Or I uh, yeah no. So okay, um, I don't think you're dreaming, and I don't think that it has changed officially. I think that what we have done is kind of like in schools. You've probably heard of gradeflation, where it's a lot easier to get a ninety today than it was when you and I were going to school. 
At least yeah, that's the prevailing theory. Yeah, so I think they, theory. yeah, they, they hand out points a little more liberally these days, in my opinion, because I agree with you. I, I have seen pucks go off of the other team's stick, but if that team didn't really have possession of it, then the team that scores ends up getting the extra point. So Yeah, I yeah they, they hand them out quite a bit. Yeah, and then okay, that was one thing. And another thing, too, I remember there was, there was a delayed offside, and the guy was going to go to the bench. But he cleared the zone, and and then after that, then went back in and went to the bench. If he would have went straight to the bench, does that count, count as clearing the zone, or would he've still been like indefinitely offside because there's no way to clear now? If you caught that or not? Uh, so you're you're talking zone. about so there's a delayed offside. Delayed then, offside. Yeah, like so the Rangers were going in, and then okay, the one guy was okay over the line. Okay, and and then so okay, so they waited. For, normally they would wait for the guy to get out clear the zone, and then proceed back in. Well, he cleared the zone, but then he went straight to the bench. He was going to anyways. If he would have went straight to the bench from their zone, because they were at this, I think, the second period when they were at the uh, at their own. No, I guess it was, would have been the first First period. period. So, they're in, yeah, so if he, yes, if he went did off. He to, did he need to clear the zone? Yes. To, to go to the bench, or if he went on straight to the bench, does that count as clearing the zone? No. I've never, never really seen that before. It does, you're, it does not count as clearing the zone, because he would have gone in the defensive door inside the blue line. Yeah. So that would have been offside. So he had to clear okay. the zone first. Yeah. Okay, because, yeah, that's what he did. He cleared the zone, but then immediately went to the bench. I thought, oh, geez, why did he bother? And I thought, hang on, that's a good one. I wonder what, what really officially did he have to do. He just so, yeah, cause, cause wanted to avoid the offside. Yeah, just it was like a five-feet thing, but just quickly in or out and then back to the bench. And so, okay. And the only other thing, not hockey-related, but at the hockey game, uh, a friend I was with, he looked up and saw the food bank sign that says, $1 will feed two families or however it reads. And like, he's the smartest guy around, but he actually said, he goes, I wonder how that could be. Like, does that just mean like a plate of rice or whatever? Um, can you add anything more as to like, like it does sound like, okay, a dollar, how can that feed more than like, you know, a fraction of a person? Jimmy, and he's just sort of insight, like he's the smartest guy. So I was almost surprised that he questioned that, but I don't have the answer either. Like, yeah. you know how a dollar can go so far when it gets to the food bank rather than. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So I, I mean, I don't want to speak for the food bank directly here, but my understanding of it, Greg, is that the food bank with its partnerships and its purchasing power can make that dollar go a whole heck of a lot further than you and me can make it go. So okay, it's right. not just oh, okay. a plate of rice. It is. It does provide a meal for somebody. Because so, of sponsors and connections behind the scenes. You name it, exactly. So it's not like if I go and say, oh, here's a dollar, give me two two bags of rice at the dollar store or something like that, like... No, no, it's not. It's not if you went into the food bank and gave them a loony, they'd give you a meal. That's not exactly what. But just you think of the donation you make to the food bank for every dollar you donate, they are able to use that with their purchasing power to get two meals for somebody. Yeah. Okay. And I'm gonna. He didn't ask me to ask. I just sort of thought. "Hmm." I I know. I've different times thought too. I wonder like how can you stretch it in this day and age kind of thing. But then to hear him and like I say, he's just he's Mr. Knowledge of everything kind of thing. But to hear him just sort of... Well, I'll know, tell you what, Greg. Question, so. you're, you're right about in this day and age because it used to be a dollar for three meals. Now it's down to a dollar for two meals. I do recall that. Now, as you mentioned, yeah, it's, yeah unfortunately, that's, that's sad. But, um, but yeah, no, I'll, I'll save an idea for another, another day. Well, actually, I'll throw it right there now. <laughs> okay. I think, people should, I think what could help the food bank is if people would think outside the box more. Like, say... Anyone's on a volleyball team, how about every match you go to, bring an item, give it to the captain, not just go and then go play your game. Or as over a poker game, bring an item with you. Like, like extend it to almost every, every, every aspect of life you do, involve just some kind of 
very like you know minor inconvenience like like charitable kind of thing or um you know like yeah or if it's uh you know just just things that you wouldn't think of that are in a donating kind of manner turn it into one i totally get it greg and i appreciate the call i will let you go on that thought but you remind me of my good friend uh sharon gilroy drear who does the Toasty Toes campaign. And this year's campaign was 90 for Nana because her mom would have been 90 years old. And she wanted 90 groups to do that very thing, strike up the collection to support the Toasty Toes campaign. So it could have been your volleyball team. It could have been your poker club. It could have been whatever to get people thinking in exactly that manner that Greg just described. Oh, we get together to play this sport. We get together for this card game. We get together to drink coffee, whatever it was, use that occasion of getting together and the power of the multiple people in that little group to become an engine for the charity. And she made it. 90 different groups and or organizations came together to support her Toasty Toes campaign this year, among others. But that the 90 for Nana was the big drive, and that was the idea behind it. So not a bad idea, Greg. You're onto something there. All right, Mary, good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon. I tried to get into uh, David Drew, but uh, it was going bonkers. Oh, because all the phones were busy. He was very disappointed he didn't get to hear from you, well, Mary. I know, and I don't know why. What, 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 what's the deal here? What, uh, why am I such a... Uh, why does he want... Are you kidding me? Are you, do you really have to ask that question, Mary? Well, I do. You're a legend. You are a oh, legend. Wow. Yes. Oh, Oh, I see. Yes. Oh, now you know. Okay. okay. I'm, I'm heading for another, I'm heading for 90 and 100. But anyway, oh, yeah, well, remember I said, I said something about when Lisa left, I thought they were married. <laughs> remember that? Oh, yes. But the, Lisa has no E on the end of her name, Drew. David does. Yes. I don't know. No relation. David Drew, no relation to Lisa Drew. No, 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 no. no. no but I didn't know. And I thought, oh, she's got a wonderful husband. She does have a wonderful husband, but his name's not David. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was that was good, and you know what? I am I'm going to I was going to email you, but I got through um, that. I shall I shall be whenever he's on again. I shall try and make it. All right, we'll make sure you get a direct line. Oh, oh, and I'll give him the second vote for the uh, prime minister okay. along with um, what's his face Andre. Andre and Mary are voting for David for Prime Minister. We got it. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye, Mary. Thanks for calling. Sorry you couldn't get through before. We're going to take a quick break. I got a Dave, I got a Ranger, Jeffrey, and a Chris waiting on the line, and there's still room for you if you want to be a part of the 12 o'clock talkback as we continue on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570.
Okay, let's get right back to the busy phone lines on the 12 o'clock talk back as we are nine minutes away from one o'clock and your update from the City News Center. And then off to Now You Know with Rob Snow. Dave, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Mike. It's Dave. Um, just a quick question. Yes, sir. About the Rangers. Sure. Who picks the three stars? Because Malbouf, two games in a row, Friday and yesterday, shut out. No star. Mm, What's that? I think Malbouf got the third star on Friday. I think he? he got, I'm pretty sure he got one of them. I could be mistaken, but I think I wrote Malbouf's name down as one of yeah, my stars well, on I, Friday. I had Malbouf both nights and I didn't see it. I'm going to double check on Friday, Dave, but I appreciate the call and the thought and concern around, you know, the best performance getting rewarded with one of those stars. I certainly thought that Malbuff could have been one yesterday. In fact, for me, he might have been the best player on the ice. The two goals in the third period notwithstanding, he he kept the Rangers alive. I thought, like I was trying to find stats during commercial breaks uh, to find out how many career shutouts uh, the kid had. His only one might have been against the Kitchener Rangers when he was playing for Hamilton, but i got to confirm that. Anyway, that's how well I thought he was playing. I can tell you this. It is a... a a less than perfect process with the delivery of the stars having to go through several steps before getting down to ice level. And sometimes, you know, with timing and the way the game is going, and you know Ottawa came back to tie it, and then the Rangers with just over five minutes to go got the winning goal. It can get difficult, and when the uh, pressure is on, the best choices are not always made. So I know everybody there works their hardest at it, and yep. Maybe Malbuff got shortchanged yesterday, because I agree with you. I think he could have been a star. Gary, good afternoon. Good morning, Mr. Farwell. How are you? Great, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. I'll good. make it quick. Okay. I just, want, I just wanted to say, like, I loved your uh, post that you uh, put on your Facebook, and I made a comment about the you were going out for a walk and with all the Christmas lights that people still have on. We still have ours on. I think it just brightens up the neighborhood put smiles on people's faces and you know with all the negativity and everything with the that's going on in the world it, it just makes the house and the neighborhood look really nice we usually keep our lights on until i don't know near the end of january and i know some people say nope you know first day of january turn off the lights take everything down and i don't know it just i'm old school but it just makes the place look pretty but I really enjoyed all the pictures that you took, and it's nice to see everyone else kind of keeping the the, the neighborhood uh, beautiful, pretty, whatever word you want to use. You know what I mean? I agree with you, Gary, and that's why I posted the pictures. I was out for a walk with the dog the other night. I was just thrilled, and it brought joy to my evening stroll. It was way before it got this cold, too. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, and so I shared them on our Facebook page, so this is a good opportunity to remind you, facebook.com slash the Mike Farwell Show, and I'm trying to get better at posting some more of those, you know, lighter things on there. You'll get show previews every day and stuff like that, but yeah, and, and there was some great feedback on those photos, and I'm glad there was, because a lot of us seem to like the idea of, hey, Christmas may be over, but those lights can stay on the houses. They can even stay illuminated because it does bring a spark to these darker winter days. I heard some people say, you know what? After Christmas into January, we should just call them winter lights and keep them up till spring. I could get behind that. I could really get behind that because of the way the winter feels. And that just adds a little brightness to it. Joe, good afternoon. Hey, Mike. Hey, Joe. Came up again yesterday and got turned away. 
I had uh, Johnny from uh, FC Cunningham with me, too. Oh, uh, I'm Wanted sorry. To wish Fixie a nice Happy New Year and see how his holidays went. Joe, I, you know what? The gentleman who was at the door even came over, but unfortunately, I, I know it's like it's difficult. We love to see the fans as much as we can, but we were so busy. We had Paul Bissonette going on. We had all kinds of things going, and we were just we wouldn't have had thirty seconds to say hi. So we had to say, "I'm sorry, we're too busy," because you know, as much as it's intermission for the game, it's our work studio, and we just we couldn't make it work yesterday. All right, we'll let it go this time. Um, so the new guy that they traded for, uh, when when is he going to play? The forward. I, I'm not exactly sure yet, but I'm going to keep checking in on that. What's his injury? What's what's his status? His status is day to day. Ask me again tomorrow. All right. All right. Good game. It was. was. I had to drive home from the lake in that sketchy crap yesterday. Must have that been was fun. Sketchy man. I'm sure it was. Holy crap! All right. <laughs> See ya. All right, Joe. Appreciate it. Look. Fixie and I love seeing, because he's a Kitchener boy, too. He knows tons of people. He probably knows every person in that hockey arena. And we love seeing you when we're there. It's just sometimes, like, as as exposed as we are, that is our live broadcast environment. And the case for yesterday, when I knew Joe was outside, we just didn't have time. And we feel bad about it, but that's just the way it goes. So hopefully you can understand that. And thanks for making the effort to come and visit and make sure you say hi. Uh, Ranger Jeffrey, I got about 45 seconds, my friend. No, I know, man. And I shouldn't be calling myself that or anything like that. I, uh, dude, okay, really get right to it then. 45 right seconds. Okay. I know. Okay. I know. I'm not going to ramble on, dude. I got to just ran. I, this is going to take you back. I think by surprise here, dude, you got a great job, man. What you do talk radio. I know and you get, yes. And you get to go and you get to do the Rangers and stuff on the, on the, on the games and stuff, man. And I, I looked up to Mike McKenzie, too, and he used to be doing the sweeping the floors and hanging out and everything, man. And I called in to you earlier, remember, I've had my fill of factory work and stuff, man. You can do stuff that you love. you got to have the passion for it and get up, and it's almost not even like working during the day. How, my friend, did you get into it? How did you learn to hold your tongue sometimes, maybe when you needed to? How did you, you know, I'm sure Don Cameron... Like, man, what a story, though. You could probably write a book on that one these days, buddy, about how you got into that and all the stories and everything. All right. I gotta, I'm sorry I got to cut you there. Uh, I don't think I'm ever going to write a book. Uh, I got into it because I lied on my resume, and it's easier than you think to hold your tongue. Uh, and I, you're right. I'm not working. I've not worked a day in my life, and all the people that are working outside today know exactly what I'm talking about here in my climate-controlled studio. All right. Got to go. Update from the City News Center. Now you know with Rob Snow is right around the corner and looking at our show tomorrow. Oh, my goodness gracious. We have so much to talk about, including a good news story about international students. You'll hear all of it when we reconvene tomorrow morning at 9. Devin Robertson is the guy on the other side of the glass. My name is Mike Farwell. Bye for now.